Hello and welcome to Movies and Shit. I don't know what episode this is because they don't pay me to know what episode it is, Max, but we're back with the first part of season it's, three. It's episode five. I'll save you the trouble, Christian. I, I'm keeping track. <laughs> Basic fucking math. We did two for the first season, two for the second one. Well, how did you not fucking get that, man? Ugh. I, all right. I feel like I fucked up already. But anyway, Movies and Shit, we're back with the first part of season three of Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. Which, listen, Max, I loved our season two. I think we fucking killed season two, man. I think we did a great fucking job, man. Um, we did a pretty good job season one. Season two, like, next level. Much like Game of Thrones, we elevated the fucking game with right. season two. And, and it's so, my so that hope. means by season five, we're going to go downhill a little bit. Sure. Season six <laughs> will be fan servicey, but it'll be entertaining. And then season seven will be a total shit show. Right. I'm really glad oh, that you said that about <laughs> season six, by the way, because when I was thinking about it, I'm like, but I kind of like season six. But I'm like, but it's because they gave me moments that I wanted my whole life. <laughs> like, not because right. they did anything that surprised me with the exception of one thing. But we're not talking about that. Let's stick to season three. Season two ends with a, with a bang of sorts uh as we have sam and some of the other rangers out there and the fucking horns start to go right and we're like yeah. one horns oh shit the half hands coming back two horns fucking walk, pull out the yeah. sword they're ready to fight and i love right. this by the way because they have such bravery in the face of two horns but that third right. horn and they're like throwing they're like, the weapons to the fucking <laughs> ground <laughs> and they get the fuck out of there well yeah. they, just, they straight up abandon our boy man sam our is boy, our boy sam yeah because Sam is uh, he's a he's a husky dude. He can't run that fast. <laughs> Very kind of you to say husky. <laughs> uh, yeah, he can't run. He's caught in the fucking snowstorm. And what is he before him? He sees the fucking the the, the army of the dead, man. White walkers yeah. in the flesh. And homie just straight up like, what's up? Like 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 yeah. <laughs> Jesus down the fucking camera. It's like what's up? You know, it doesn't kill him. I don't know why. We'll save that argument for the philosophers. But I mean, well, I think we already talked about it. Right. So we, we someone needed to bear with this. Yeah. <laughs> someone needed to bear with this. Yeah, it's either that or like as we see, like he still ends up getting attacked anyway. Um, right. So I think the White Walker was just like, "You're not worth my time. I'll send some of my minions to get." <laughs> yeah. I'm not getting off my my dead horse. For, right. For your fucking husky. He's ass. presumably very old. You know how much effort it takes to get up and down from yeah. that fucking horse, and he's tired, man. Can't be bothered. He's like an old, like an old entrenched Republican man. He's not gonna fucking. <laughs> <laughs> that death rattle of the Republican Party, aka White Walkers, man. Uh, so, but listen, that's not the only thing I think we should catch people up on quickly. Season two, as you know, we had the big uh, Battle of the Blackwater. Tyrion kind of saved the city. Uh, Tywin actually rolls in in the eleventh hour and actually saves the city and takes all the credit, like a Lannister does. By the way, yeah. um, very annoying. Uh, what else? Anything else we should like? Come on, let's figure out. Oh, like, like okay, to, to to set us up here. Um, yeah. so Tyrion has been wounded. Um, on the field of battle uh, by one of their own, by a gold cloak, uh, for reasons we're not entirely sure, but that we can guess. Uh, Stannis is back at Dragonstone, licking his wounds. Uh, Davos has been cast out to sea, um, presumed dead at the end of season two, but we find out pretty quickly that he is not. Uh, Sansa is still a prisoner of the Lannisters, but not due to wed Joffrey anymore, so her position is unknown. Jon Snow is with the wildlings now and has just killed the half hand to prove his loyalty and infiltrate the wildlings to find out Mance Raider's plan. Um, am I missing anything here? Oh yeah. Rob Stark still marching. Um, just married to Lisa instead of one of the phrase. Car uh, Stark is not about it. Bruce Bolton's being a Bolton. Um, what am I missing here? I think you nailed most of it. And if nothing else, Jamie, did we mention Jamie? 
Did I fuck that oh, up? Yeah. Uh, no, J- Jamie Lannister is um, on the road with Brienne on his way back to King's Landing. Um, and that's pretty much... And I just want to make sure we didn't glance over that because season two, in my opinion, was the season of Tyrion. And I do want to bring that up throughout this uh, first five episodes because I think that's a bit of the reason I have a bit of a disconnect with, the, with these episodes. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I still think it's peak of the, of the show. But uh, there's a reason why I'm a little uh, cold on it. But if season oh, two is the, about the yeah. first half of this season, yeah, and we'll get into okay. it. We'll see. Uh, season two, if, if if that was about Tyrion, I think season three really is about the redemption oh. of Jaime Lannister in a way that I was not fucking ready for. By the no, way, I don't think any of us were, or how good of a fucking actor uh, Nicholas Coster Waldo is. You. If I'm fucking that up, I'm sorry. I'm not exactly sure. How to say I'm so glad name. you said it. Um, when we get to the episode, we will we will take yes, a deep yeah, dive sure. about that guy. Um, but yeah, I just I'm really glad you fucking said that. And um. The only Pat. person I think we're leaving out is Arya, right? She has oh, yeah. uh, successfully escaped from Hall with the help of her friend Jacques and Agar, and she is on the road with Gendry and Hot Pie. Her boy Hot Pie. What a, what a pie. great name. Uh, so with that, man, uh, let's jump into it. I mean, so the first uh, episode of season three, hit me with that title, man. What is it? You're, you're our resident um, translator. Valor do Hyrus. I couldn't do that if I tried and I speak a romance language. That's how <laughs> fucked up that is. Uh, we start the episode and Sam is still beyond the wall. And I kind of love that, right? Because, uh, you know, that's kind of where we left. There was this holy shit moment and we were in the yeah. snow. We were in the blinding snow. We we're right back there. And I, I don't want to say like the show feels more expensive at this point, but it definitely feels like holy shit immersion, right? In yeah. a way that maybe the northern scenes didn't have i feel like that's not true but i just feel like everything is so much more textured in the north mm-hmm. uh specifically like even when they're in craster's keep and stuff but this scene immediately you feel like you're in that blizzard you feel like you have no visibility um and it's not it's not good it's not good for old sam and, and in the fucking distance we see a fucking not a white walker per se but one of the the undead right yeah, the, the army whites of- yeah yeah um going after a man who saves him but lord commander uh, Mormont, right? Well, that wolf just comes out of nowhere first. He's just like, I oh, got yeah, you. The wolf. Yeah, the wolf. <laughs> yeah, which it. is my favorite part. Mormont comes in like real casual, by the way. And it's just like, you see him <laughs> crawling away, screaming for his life, and you just <laughs> stroll in like a little right. dramatic Mormont, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, I like that too because Game of Thrones doesn't have a bunch of cold opens, but they did have one in season one. They didn't with mm-hmm. season two. And this is a literal cold open. Yeah, because it's real cold out. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry that I had to do that, but someone must. <laughs> uh, right after that, we we catch up with John, and John's now uh, with the Wildling Camps. And I love this because again, we start getting more immersed into the magic and the weird and the mystical. We get a we get a fucking giant man. We see a yeah. giant for the first time, and I love that Jon Snow is the analog to us because I don't know about you, yeah, but the he's first our time audience I saw that, surrogate, and you're like, oh shit, what, what is going on? <laughs> And she's just making fun of him. You know what I mean? She's yeah. like, first time you've seen a giant Jon Snow. She's amazing because she just busts his balls the whole season. The I love whole it. time. Yeah. Uh, first appearance of a fan favorite. This is uh, the season where a lot of our fan favorites are going to kind of emerge, like from the current uh, incarnation of the show. Uh, Tormund shows up, man. Love yeah. this guy. Love him. He's wonderful. He's killing Jon Snow immediately like uh, bows to him or kneels in front of him like he's the king beyond well, all man. To be fair, he seems yeah. regal as fuck. Like he's if like holding court, he's got a great big bushy beard. Yeah. He's got a liquid velvet fucking Morgan Freeman voice. Like he's perfect, man. Like <laughs> where's he from? Like Denmark? Like Morgan he's the Freeman, Morgan Freeman of gingers. Yeah. 
Oh, Christ. Uh, yeah, so I love that. And again, he mistakes, uh, you know, Tormund for Mance. And, and Mance kind of comes out of nowhere. And we know that actor from a couple different places. I know that he was in, like, Road to Perdition. And he was in a couple different uh, acting roles that I'm really fond of him in. But this is probably his big claim to fame for, for most people, right? Because he's, he seems like a character actor from the UK. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how you say his name. I think it's like Kieran Hins or Siren Hins. Hey, man. I can't Hins. fuck with those names. He's Irish? It's one of those. It's, it's an Irish. Uh, right. It's an Irish name. I don't know how those Irish say the things. The C's like and the K's. Saoirse and <laughs> Siobhan and all that. But it's not spelled like that. Uh, they're trying to pull. He's um, great, though, man. He's really good. Uh, and I, and I kind of like that right off the bat, he's immediately kind of questioning John's motives and being like, why do you want to be here? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and he tries to lie for a second and he doesn't kind of. And so I think what, uh, what Jon Snow did in this situation is he did the same thing that you do when you try to beat a lie detector test, right? Like you try to say a truth to you, right? Like right. he says something that is true enough to himself and that is actually how he feels. He wants to be on the side of the living Right when 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 the fucking the real enemy comes because again John's seen something that people haven't seen I think that's a big deal right yeah yeah no he has seen evidence of the White Walkers and he's seen that this is a fucking known problem and now here he's meeting Mance Raider and Mance immediately is uh, entirely honest um, right. about his intentions he never once is misleading or duplicitous or lies. And to someone like Jon Snow and for us, the audience, like we can see how Jon Snow would kind of be taken in by that. Um, even though he's just sworn his vows to the Night's Watch, he's still clearly allegiant to them. Uh, we can see over the course of this uh, sort of tenuous relationship he has with Mance Raider, like why someone like Jon Snow would consider um, at least valuing this person or understanding yeah. him. Last episode, we kind of talked about it, and you're like, well, I don't know if it has much to do with honor, because I kind of said, like, Mance is, is arguably one of the last few honorable people, but he's in the north, in the south, rather, you know, south yeah. of the wall, he's, he's portrayed as a savage, you know, as all right. the wildlings are, and I guess you said it in the last episode as well, the lines between... <laughs> you know what the fucking uh the good and the bad the wildlings and the civilized folk they kind of get blurred and we realize that that's all bullshit to begin with but this season really does kind of reinforce that yeah there is an honor about him otherwise john would never be seduced by it you know what i mean in his own weird way it makes sense right. um they do a great job kind of exploring that yeah no like i mean he he pretty much explicitly says uh later on i think um uh, maybe i should save this for later but he pretty much explicitly says to John, like, you know how I united, you know, a hundred thousand men from warring tribes who wanted to fucking kill each other. And he's like, by telling the truth, I told right. him that we wouldn't survive the long night unless we work together. Um, yeah. And that's what we're going to do. I'm just saying it's a little column A, a little column B. Like, I think he's got some honor and he's also like, I'm a pragmatist. Like, I want to yeah. live and I want people that I care about to live. I mean, so yeah, he's, he's willing to, he's willing to do, you know, he's willing to kill men of the night's watch or whoever he has to in order for his people to survive. Right. Um, so he's following a code for sure. Um, Mance Raider is a, yeah, he's a good character. I really like him. Um, let's jump to King's Landing, if you don't mind, because the show doesn't get credit, I think, for its comedic moments, which it does really well. Um, and it kind of goes back to that whole adage about how dra dramatic writers kind of understand comedy more than co comedy writers in a weird way, like for television right. anyway, not talking about stand-up comedy, but just for, you know. Yeah, uh, no, there are like moments in Mad Men or The Wire that are funnier than Sopranos. Any yeah. Seen. yeah, I mean, any of those great dramas just have moments that, that tension, died laughing. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Exactly. 
And uh, they do this really well. And I think, you know, we get back to King's Landing and we're, we're with Braun and Braun's, you know, taken in a whorehouse because that's what he does. Naturally. And also, let's just talk about Braun's fucking ascension in the ranks. It's in <laughs> season one where he's just like a sail yeah. sword hanging out on the King's Roads. And now right. he's a fucking knight by this season. Yeah, and and again, I said it before, but just the fact that he's not really that phased by it. He's just sort of taking it as it comes. He's like, ah, easy come, easy go. Like, I feel like if he lost it all, he'd just go back to selling his sword. He wouldn't be that bothered by it. Right. I mean, he's not bothered by the fact that he was relieved of his post. He's like, hey, fuck it. <laughs> like, yeah. more time at the whorehouse, which is great <laughs> for him. Uh, and they, they, kinda, they kind of expand on his, like, laissez-faire attitude about it in a minute. But... um the reason that he's, 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 we're talking about Braun here is because uh, Podrick comes in in the middle of him enjoying his spoils, right? After post-war spoils or whatever. Right. <laughs> he's just like, go away. He's like, uh, I would, but uh, Lord Tyrion needs you. I will murder you, boy. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know why that was so goddamn hysterical because I get it. I'm just like, yo, this can wait, all right? Like, yeah. surely this can wait. Uh, but it can't. Podrick is very persistent, uh, even in the face of a, of a threat. <laughs> persistent Podrick. Personification or alliteration aside, sir, uh, we kind of realize the reason that there's such importance on this is because Tyrion, if we remember, for, I believe the finale, Varys kind of fills him in on like, "Yo, dog, you um, like your 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 sister tried to kill you. <laughs> like that's the, essentially what happened, right? Like I know that I, I'm a little drunk. Yo, but- dog." <laughs> All right. You know what? I'll stop. I'll stop forever. Uh, no, no. The whole point is that from season two, we kind of know that like it wasn't the enemy that attacked Tyrion. Yeah. You know, it was a fucking gold coat. So there was already some gold cloak. Sorry. But there's already some like fucking problem there. He already has some suspicion, blah, 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 blah. So he's trying to get fucking Bronn to come over essentially because he's worried about his fucking life. Yeah. Um, and we're going to cut to... he's also, uh, like, wounded now, so he's a little bit, like... Well, he's... I think he's, you know, embellishing it. He's really milking that injury, don't you think? You think, you think he's... he's I fuck, he took, like, yeah. what? A halfway... If he really got hit, he would have been fucking killed. It's actually a pretty sick scar, man. Like, if as far as scars go on your face, like, that, that's pretty cool. He didn't even lose the nose like he does in the books. Um, right, well, that brings me to my next point. So the next scene is Cersei ver- visits him, right? Yeah. Which they have a whole fucking thing, and he, he's bitching about how Papa never came and she starts the scene being like oh you didn't lose your nose as 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 everyone said you know which i loved a little nod to the book because i know it's fucking gruesome as hell in the book so it's cool that they yeah. kind of mentioned it briefly um but i love that scene because isn't i think cersei's like scared right because she's like you're gonna see father what are you gonna say like you're gonna tell right. lies because you're a liar and he's like which lies do you think i'm gonna tell <laughs> which i loved that i thought that was such yeah. a good scene um but I also loved a couple things from that scene, which is the uh, the fucking standoff with Marin Trent and Bronn. Uh, mm-hmm. But also just the sick burn that even in a fucking like, you know, med ward, <laughs> she's like, you're not as smart as you think you are. And he's like, I'm still smarter than you. You know, like he's able to <laughs> fucking spar at all times with this woman. And it's just like, that's what gives him life. Like yeah. in a way, like this is a Batman Joker situation where he needs her saying because he needs to invest her constantly, you know? <laughs> Right. No, I mean, he's even given the option to leave by, and we talked about this, um, to, to leave in the last season with Shay, right? Doesn't she say, um, like, hey, like, let's get out of here. Let's just fucking go off and, like, fucking drink and, you know, hang yeah. out on the beach or whatever. And he's like, no, this is what I'm good at, like, fighting these people. 
Um, so for better or for worse, like Tyrion is inextricably tied, especially to his family, like just proving that he's good enough to be at the table right. and not only good enough, but better than that. I, again, I, so, you know, let me just jump into it because this is my point. This is what I was saying. I'm a little bit cold on the first six. I didn't want to do it in the intro, but it starts here, which is season two is the Tyrion at the pinnacle, you know, at the height of his power. And this season is just a lot of shitting on this poor guy, man. It's very sad. Like, not only has he fallen, not only is he not thanked for anything, he's yeah. fucking the lowest he's been in the series, honestly. <laughs> because he had, before, he was just, you know, a rich, spoiled, whatever, who was smart, but he never had to affect anything, really. He never had power. Season two, he got a taste of it. He understood the date of mind for it. And now it's taken away, and he feels lower than ever. His father fucking makes fun of him. He is, you know, his... Uh, We'll get to it when we get to it, but he's sold into the propositions he doesn't necessarily want to do. And it's just, it's a hard right. pill to swallow after having him be on top the whole season, you know? Do you think that it's to the detriment of the show, or is it just more that you wanted to see that character that you admire and like so much? Oh, yeah. No, not a detriment at all. No, no. Okay. The, the show is great because of that. I mean, yeah. honestly, it's like they gave you what you wanted and they kind of spend the rest of the show <laughs> fucking that up for you. Right. Uh, but but it's still just one of those things that like I'm cold on it just because I loved season two and I love seeing this person who's so disenfranchised normally. It's the same reason why I love Brienne. It's the same reason I love any time a woman in this show gets the best of a fucking man. It's because you know that's so far and few between in this world. And it yeah. kind of breaks my heart, you know? Yeah, no, um, I, I think that it really goes down to how Martin writes these stories. We call it we called it a subversion of fantasy tropes, but really what it is, what I think he's allergic to more than anything and where the show drops the ball in the later seasons is that he's never been one to engage in a power fantasy on behalf of the audience. Right. Um, so like uh, someone like Tyrion, like in any other fantasy show, would, con- would continue ascending. He would you know come into some problems, but he would eventually succeed in whatever. Um, in his story, Tyrion goes through hell. He isn't thanked. He's belittled and fucking made to feel smaller than he's ever felt uh, after displaying tremendous courage and tremendous foresight and tremendous cunning, whatever. Um, and we'll get to that, you know, his conversation with his father and everything. Um, but no, I think the way Martin writes is, uh, I think I've heard him say that he's a, he's a planter. He'll start off with little seeds and see how they grow. Um, he that's how he follows the stories it's not that he's laid out the road and the track and everything and knows exactly where it's going he's following the characters where they naturally would go um which goes no it's 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 places why the show is so refreshing early on i was thinking the same thing as we get to later seasons it's going to be interesting to diagnose when it stopped being that kind of a literary show and became a regular show um and i'm so interested in kind of diagnosing that but again this is an example of how it's not doing that at this point you know, yeah. the, every other show would give you more of the person you want to be winning, right? Because they finally did something. They were brave. They deserve to be rewarded. And this show says, fuck that, you know? Right. Um, also, the Marin Trent fucking Braun standoff is great. I mean, I love that. I love that. Like, by the way, I don't give a fuck about that armor. Braun was going to kill you, Marin Trent. Like, there is oh, no yeah. doubt in my mind. Like, because you are a piece of shit. You're not as good as you think you are. Uh, but it brings us to our next scene, which is right after that, you know, Tyrion and Braun are kind of walking throughout King's Landing going to the docks i believe and uh he's just like you know uh, we got to renegotiate this contract bro <laughs> because i'm a knight now knights are worth at least double like i grow poor protecting you you know what i mean uh and so again what i like about it though is it it, it makes Tyrion and it makes Bronn know each other there's a big payoff of this later in seasons where like someone needs to come and be a champion for 
Tyrion and you naturally would think it would be Bronn, but it isn't because again, this is set very early on. Like we are friends yeah. and I respect you, but I respect my fucking sword. That's what I do. I sell it. So uh, I need, I need to make money. And I think it's, you know, it's a good scene that has these uh, unknown uh, repercussions in later seasons. I think it's a nice little touch. You know what I mean? Yeah. For sure. um, let's jump to Davos who is very much alive, sir. Yeah. You get a POV. Like he wakes up on like a fucking rock and he's all like blistered and fucked up and like just a leathery <sighs> gunked up piece of shit. Just right. on a fucking, he looks like a barnacle. Is this supposed to be, like, literally one day later? Or is this, like, a couple days? Like, he's been fucking sucked on by some fish and shit. (laughs) (laughs) As Fisher want to do. (laughs) Well, Um, occasionally. I'm just saying. I don't know. Anyway. No, it's great. And he, like, puts his hand up to the sun. And he, like, sees a little boat rowing out to him. Because he's waving him down. They're like, oh, what king do you serve? And he's like. And this motherfucker, by the way, loyal as fuck. Because I don't think it's, I don't think it's, like, they play it as a scene where he's like, oh, I got to figure out which side do I choose. And he's just like, no, I think he was always going to say Stannis. It's like, bro, you know that you were killed near King's Landing, right? (laughs) Yeah. He'd be totally murdered for the wrong answer. And despite that, he's he's uh, honorable to a fucking fault. Man, Again, he's why the are Onion people... Knight, man? He's got layers. Well, well yeah. <laughs> why is it that the people without titles and without land or honor in the traditional sense are often the most honorable people in this fucking show? It's like, uh, so yeah, sad. well, I think, I, yeah, I think that it's the exploration of the idea of like honor being a societal construct versus a personal code. Like it's expected of you when you're a lord or a lady. Um, when you're not. Uh, and you have honor, it's usually for more personal or righteous reasons. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, other important thing for Davos very quickly is just to talk about that once he gets back. Who's his, like, sailor friend that he that he recruited in season two to, to lead Stannis' oh, the, army? the fucking pirate or whatever? Love him. Love that I motherfucker. His name. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> you drink at my wedding and you drink at four of mine. <laughs> I'm not asking you for favors. Like, that's my kind of guy, all right? Like, listen, you're my best friend in the world, Max. Don't ask me for anything, all right? Like, it just ruins it. It ruins what we have. <laughs> Uh, but no, there's a scene and, and he kind of, uh, talks about how the red lady's just burning people, essentially like prisoners and just being like, uh, you yeah. leave the Lord of the light. Nope. Fire. And, uh, ruthlessness, man, just a yeah. pretty ruthless thing, which Davos was already not on board with this. And what I really love about this season and we'll kind of like, um, you know, touch back on it at different points, but they really kind of doubled down on the Lord of the light, like that religion, because mm-hmm. we see it in different parts of the world. And like, uh, for the first time maybe not the first time but one of the times i think is the best usage of it the usage of familiar themes and and and, uh you know musical cues that are usually associated with one part of the world and one character suddenly show up in other parts and you realize that there is this kind of unifying thing across the land that this belief is Mm -hmm. bigger than any geographical divide so i loved that and we'll get to that in a little bit um let's jump to the north if you don't mind um we got roos and we got rob they're chilling doing things they're they're kind of lamenting the fact that the lannisters won't engage straight up you know what i mean the the starks have kept winning and uh this has been mostly good but then they don't they go to the car starks and like the car starks have been straight up slaughtered like the the kingdom is that where they were i'm trying to fucking remember where they were where we're in the north yeah do you not remember this at all i don't remember that's not good. Didn't you just watch this? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you just watch this? I did, but I'm drinking, so I have an excuse. No, they 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 kind of go up and they they realize that like I think I think like the mountain has fucking you know taken this whole place. They go inside the north and like all of the Karstark men are fucking slaughtered. Like a right. bunch of them that were sitting at this outpost. I forget exactly geographically where they are, forgive me. Um, but 
basically Bruce Bolton's like, you know, this debt will be repaid, my lord, like tenfold when we get the Lannisters. You know, he's trying to like reassure Karstark. But the scene is there predominantly just to continue to sow the seeds of discontent. And this is a season a lot about that, isn't it? It's about like people getting fucking fed up with the ranks of shit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like the discontent, and then kind of splintering away from that. Happens in the north, happens beyond the wall. Um, yeah, and it's and, kind of uh, just like yeah, Lord Karstark is not about how uh, Rob is um, is uh, handling things, and it definitely uh, progresses or de devolves over the course of the season in terms right. of their relationship. Kind of, this is the first sign of like how that disintegrates, which we will get into, or well, not the first sign, but the first sign this season because it really started with his uh, his son being killed, right, and right. Uh, Jamie being set free basically instead of answering oh yeah it's like to, in his defense it's not like it was a one-time fuck up like yeah. he's losing things left and right and yeah i mean he already lost his kid and he's still following rob after rob didn't really do a goddamn thing about it um right other than like put his mom on tent arrest uh <laughs> i love when he does that too it's supposed to be met with like ooh, <laughs> like, right. you know what i mean like oh we put his mom in a tent like, <laughs> come on, guy. it ain't that serious anyway uh but yeah, so I mean, again, that scene is just kind of be like Karstark, who is very loyal and 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 is honestly distant. What they're distant cousins to the Starks. That's the point. The Karstarks, right? Like yeah. they are kin. They have the same blood running through their veins. Not happy with the leadership. Not happy with the decision making. Um, yeah. And we'll get to a famous line that he says in a couple episodes. But from there, let's jump to Tywin and Tyrion. Uh, we're back in King's mm-hmm. Landing. It's a great scene. It's a heartbreaking scene. And yeah. to be honest, it is Tyrion at his lowest. We talk about the hero's journey all the time, or at least I do. And what we know is that the hero's journey, right, the lowest point is right before the redemptive arc. And again, this is not a redemptive arc. <laughs> That's no. the problem. Like, it's so <laughs> wonderful how much this is subverted because it just keeps getting worse. But in this conversation, uh, Tyrion's a little salty that Tywin didn't come visit him, right, as he was yeah. healing. And... Uh, he was like, I was assured that you were Yeah, like, I were... heard you were co- convalescing nicely. I don't know what the problem is. Right, yeah. Stop like a little bitch about it, basically. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. And then so Tyrion's like, I, you know, I strategized the city's defense, and I, I saved this plague, and I fought valiant, valiantly on the battlefield, and just giving all these reasons, very good reasons, by the way, why he should be rewarded. And what he wants is not out of the question, by the way. Because ordinarily, yes, Jamie is the firstborn son. Jamie right. would inherit all the lands and all the but titles. But he's forfeited all of that. Um, of course. Be a member of the Kingsguard, yeah. So at that point, can't go to Cersei because we live in a weird fucking, you know, bullshit Jane Austen society where women can't get property and shit. So, uh, you know, they can be married off. They can become queens in that right, but they're never going to assume things. So what's the next logical step? Of course, let's give it to Tyrion, right? Yeah, Tyrion is t- t- Terry Lannister. Tyrion uh, feels the same way. He's just like, look, man, I want what's mine. Okay, Jamie can't have it. I'm the next born. I want Casterly Rock. <laughs> Casterly Rock, rather. Sorry. And it's my birthright. You know, like I deserve this. And I fought valiantly. I brought honor to the Lannister name, which he did. Again, let's yeah. just, as the audience, let's take a step back and realize, like, if any one of the Lannisters has been honorable, it's been this motherfucker, you know? Right. Um, and yeah, while his sister was getting drunk and Jamie was getting captured, Ter- Tyrion was fucking running shit and keeping Joffrey from fucking, you know, cannibalizing the city, basically. Right, in a way, had a better hold on Joffrey than Cersei ever did, you know? And oh, this yeah. season is also a lot about how that splinters as well. Mm-hmm. Her, the last little bits of control that she kind of has. Um, right. 
but how does he respond? He answer, he responds in a way that like for a fucking second, you forget who you're talking to because that's the point. For a second, he's like, you know what? We're going to find you a job more suitable for your talents. If you serve the honor, if you serve the family honorably, we will get you a good wife. Um, yeah. We'll take care of you. But I'm going to be real. Uh, I, would, I would rather maggots fucking eat me before I give you Casterly Rock and make me the laughing stock of the world. You know, and again, because right. when we talk about this, and I've said this before, in Tywin's mind, if you want to get inside the mind of this guy, his charity, he gave the greatest charity of all. Allowing him he, to live. Yes, and to have yeah. his last name, dude. Right. And which he, is a big he says, like, deal. do you have any idea how it feels to see you waddling about um, whoring and drinking and wearing a lion on your lapel or whatever he says? Yeah, yeah, that my father yeah. and his father before him fucking wore. You know, like, again, right. he thinks he's an utter embarrassment that, to the... Yeah, that the gods have sent him to Tywin as a form of, you know, forced humility. Um, that this is like a test or something. Right, yeah. and because I can't prove you're not mine, <laughs> that's what he yeah. says. And it's just like, they don't have fucking Mari or whatever. They don't have paternity tests and, and right. fucking Westeros. But. And, and again, it's just one of many uh, instances of the Lannister children who are usually so sharp-tongued and cutting, just wilting in front of their father. Well, I think that's a really important thing, though, because even the, the, the best debate... I bet Ben Shapiro's fucking racist ass, when his mom comes talking, he's like falls apart you know what right. i mean there is that idea of like no matter how powerful you are in your own right you'll always tremble in the shadow of your fucking parents you know and so it's that's just a particularly formidable opponent you know what i mean mm -hmm. like tywin is on some next level shit and he and he goes for the for the jugular man uh he's like you spiteful little creature who killed your mom <laughs> like you think yeah. i would give you my fucking you know legacy and it's Tyrion always has something to say and he's just rendered speechless. And I think it's like clearly the low point for him as a character. Again, so quick off being at the high point. I think that's why yeah. it's like this precipitous fall into like, holy shit, you ain't nothing, man. <laughs> like yeah. you had so much power around here. Now, now imagine Tyrion without a nose having to hear that shit. <laughs> just just even worse. worse. I don't even yeah. have a fucking nose. <laughs> like, bad about that. I heard you were fine. I don't know what the fuck. <laughs> I can't smell that I was fine. God damn it, man! I guess you can still smell without a nose. Apparently, I don't know. But point well, is this: you, let's jump. Have you heard accounts of noseless people? Like I know you that can you can smell. hear you without an ear. Smells. You can hear without an ear. Did you know that? Moving on. Um... <laughs> Shay and Sansa are watching the fucking boats and they're making stories up. Well, at least Sansa, Shay doesn't seem to understand the concept. Yeah, she doesn't understand the concept of imagination, like straight up. Just like, why would I tell a story if I already know the truth? And then Sansa's like, because the truth is either either, either uh, terrible or boring. Um, right. And you're like, well, fuck. That's, <laughs> that's apt. Uh, it's a good scene. I like it. Littlefinger shows up doing the usual Littlefinger thing, yeah. you know, trying to steal a moment of silence. Shay is relegated to go hang out with Roz, and and yeah. you know, believe it or not, they have a, a moment that I really like. And so often is this show about like the lords and the ladies and the kings and the fucking you know right. whatever. But you know, we we do spend time with the commoners throughout the series, but they're never a huge focal point. And what I like about this is like they have a real moment. Like it's like yeah. fucking uh, Pacino and and De Niro and Heat. Like we're not so different, you and I. You know what I mean? Like right. they they have this. Yeah, yeah. Roz says like, yeah, we you, we both done pretty fucking well yeah. for ourselves. Girls like we? us, she said. Yeah. Yeah. Girls like us gotta stick together. 
Um, but basically the takeaway is as they're watching Littlefinger essentially tell Sansa that like, hey, if you want to get out of here, there's a possibility you have to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. There's a possibility I can take you with me when I set sail. Um, and she's like, oh, fuck, okay. Uh, and meanwhile, Roz is like, don't, don't trust him. Like, watch right. her around him. This is kind of the season where people, maybe they knew it the whole time, but people start to say it out loud that, yo, Littlefinger is dangerous as fuck. I mean, Roz is not the only person kind of warning people about Littlefinger. We'll get to it when we get to it. For now, I want to jump to the, uh, to the east, the far east, if you don't mind. Dragon's getting big, Max. Dragon's yeah, getting it's like so the big. size of a large dog with the wingspan of a large bird. <laughs> okay. So it's like the size of a condor. I don't know. So it's such a weird measurement of time and space, but okay, um, I'm into it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the big the big takeaway is like yeah, she's, Danny's on a boat. She's on it. She's getting. She got it. the Dothraki on a boat also. Right. Well, the larger problem is that the Doth, you know, the Dothraki alone, which is not a real, you know, army, is not going to yeah, do it. She needs it's to, just a few stragglers. At this she point. needs an army, man. That's yeah. kind of the point. She needs to go procure an army, and so that's kind of what happens this season. The first half of the season is just yeah. about her finally getting that fucking army that she right. so desperately wants. So, so she arrives in the slave city of Astapor um, mm-hmm. to uh, kind of see uh, like what's for sale, and it's the Unsullied. So she right. meets up with this uh, fucking bald bitch. Forget his name. Um, but yeah, right. I don't know also, how much nipple we gate. Say about this, Game of Thrones nipple gate. Because uh, uh, that bald dude cuts a nipple off just to prove a point. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so we should get into the Unsullied a little bit. Um, this is a good introduction to them and just the different kinds of armies that we have in Game of Thrones. But this is a slave army without identity, uh, without balls. Um, they get castrated <laughs> at a very young age. They get their names taken from them. Um, and they are trained to be completely subservient. They might feel pain, but they don't react to it. And to prove that, he cuts off a fucking dude's nipple. And then, and then like, gets, gets thanked for it. Yeah. yeah. He's like, thank you. I, I'm glad I could be of service to you. <laughs> like, what yeah, the right. fuck? <laughs> Some real BDSM yeah. shit going on, man. Every, uh, every young Unsullied uh, dreams of the day when they can get their fucking nipple cut off. Um, well, let's put a pin in that for a second because I want to end the episode in the east. Okay, so let's very sure. quickly, if you don't mind, I'm going to go to two more places. Let's go. Uh, let's go visit Stannis for a second. All right, because Davos finally fucking gets back, and Stannis doesn't seem particularly happy or or unhappy that Davos is there. He's it's just just like, oh, you're here. Thought you were dead. <laughs> yeah, like literally the only line. Uh, and like barely looks at him. Davos and- is is really just being like, yo, there's a war to fight. Like we gotta we gotta yeah. keep going. But here's the thing we got to get rid of this red bitch because she's crazy. You know, Melisandre, and she's there, by the way. Yeah. It's not like, you know, Davos, to his credit, isn't talking behind her back. Awkward. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, she's there. And um, she's basically like, yeah, Lord Davos, you know, I wasn't there at the Battle of Blackwater. You're yeah. right. And if I had been, I might have been able to help with those flames that killed your son yeah. and destroyed the fleet. She got the fucking Trump spin team, dog. <laughs> like she yeah. immediately like was able to turn Alternative facts, Davos man. She's the Kellyanne Conway of the uh the Game of Thrones universe. Right. And when he realizes he's bested, he just tries to go for broke, tries to pull out a dagger and stab her. Yeah. He's that rhymed, sorry. Uh, and he's restrained and he's taken to the fucking yeah. uh, the dungeons to rot away because now he's a traitor against the one true king, Stannis yeah. Baratheon. Yeah, big, big ups to Stannis for not burning him on the spot or whatever. <laughs> right, like you want to talk about a king's mercy. <laughs> like, I mean, Stannis has not proved himself. He was like, you know, emotionally stable. Yeah. He's fine I mean, with burning people. 
to Didn't be fair, happen. Davos is probably very dehydrated, you know? Right. Um, let's jump to King's Landing one more time. Let's actually go to Flea Bottom, right? Because from going to the Red Keep to the, the, the what, the Sept, right? Um, fucking, they're, they're being carried around. What are those things called? I forget what they're called. Shit. Uh, they have like a really common oh, name and I'm forgetting them. Uh, I don't know, but like where the king is Yeah, but there's around, a fucking like, name a fucking for it. It's going to bother me all day. Whatever. I'll think about it later. But yeah, so they're carrying him around and Marjorie asked to stop in Flea Bottom, which like, listen, not a place for royalty usually, but mm-hmm. Marjorie's trying to win hearts and minds and you kind of see, and it's, it's weird because I don't understand her. Like on one end, as we see in future episodes, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in depth, she clearly knows how to play the game. She knows how to manipulate. She knows how to take care of those things. But I do genuinely think there's good in her. Or is it all just for the appearance? And if that's the case, does it matter as long as the good gets done? Like, she's such a conflicting character because I don't really get her motivations, man. I don't know. I, I think that there's a little bit of, little bit of everything. Like, she wants to be the queen. But at the same time, I think that she understands that being the queen and being a leader means that you have to win over the hearts and minds of the people. And that there has been a lot of discontent in the city of King's Landing. Um, and the peasants and everything have been talking mad shit about Joffrey. Like, he started a riot and had them all executed and shit. So she knows coming into this situation that if she's going to govern... Um, and she's effectively positioning her family to be the controlling family in the Seven Kingdoms, then she has to win over the people. So that's kind of what I saw it as, is like she's doing this because she has to, but maybe there is some goodness in her too. Um, right. It remains to be seen in the books. She's uh, you know, still running around in the books doing stuff, so it's hard to say for sure, but right. yeah, that, that was my take. It's, it's just interesting because it raises that question of like, uh, when people give to charity, if they're only giving to charity so people know that they give to charity does that fucking matter? <laughs> like the charity is still being given and maybe that's what matters the most. Right. I mean, so it's, I don't like that line, it's like that classic line in, you know, Batman begins where, you know, Katie Holmes is like, it's, it's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. And then Batman turns it around, says it to her and she's like, Oh, you're Bruce Wayne. Bruce, Bruce. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> <laughs> like what I find weird about that is just like, she it's said that one time that defines you. <laughs> We've been too forgiving of those Nolan Batman movies, man. I'm going to be yeah, real. Yeah, probably. But that, that's not what we're talking about here. But yeah, like the point is like as long as the charity has still been doled out, like who gives a shit if it's for publicity? Lady right. Marjorie, she's taking care of these little orphan kids. She's stepping in shit. People are like, oh, you're going to ruin your dress. And she's like, I right. have others. I don't she's care. She's the Zoe Deschanel of King's Landing. <laughs> she's like so carefree. She doesn't care. Like, I'll get another dress, whatever. Like, yeah, Lalo. Just a, a man- <laughs> Lalo. Manic Pixie Dream Girl, Queen Marjorie. Right, um, man. It's great. But this brings us to a really important scene, which we have the, the fucking most awkward family dinner ever <laughs> at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cersei is just like, again, she's losing her control of Joffrey. She understands that Marjorie is very good at this game, knows how to manipulate shit like that. Yeah. Um, I, I should mention really briefly, I don't mean to yeah. interrupt you, but like just during the scene when uh, Marjorie gets out of the thing, whatever it's called, to go like talk to the orphans or whatever, Joffrey's just staring. He doesn't get out. He's just staring. And you can just see like his brain short circuiting. <laughs> like he does not well, know. There's a part what to where do. he's straight up like, <laughs> who gave him permission? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, I need permission to do what she's doing. And right. never happened, man. I don't know. It's it's amazing. That dude does not get enough credit as an actor because he is Jack, just. Jack Leeson. Yeah, again, Bat- Batman begins uh, a loom there. There's the Batman Begins connection. Right That's there. why we're one universe, man. We brought it all together. Um, but the awkward family dinner, I just basically. Uh, 
Cersei realizes she's kind of losing her her hold on Joffrey. Joffrey even kind of like, you know, because they talk about the riot that you mentioned earlier about like, you shouldn't do that, you know, because Marjorie's like, you need to have an open heart to these people. Like, you realize they're no difference, highborn and lowborn, as long as you have an open heart. Cersei's like, you'll have an open heart if you hang out with these motherfuckers. We got into a riot once and uh, Joffrey immediately dispels that, even though you and I know how, um, how serious that, that is. Yeah. yeah, it was fucked up. It was, certainly wasn't a laughing matter. And he spins it like, you know, the older my mom gets, the, the less uh, consumed with facts she is. You know what I mean? Right. Which makes her feel mad because I think in her mind, like Cersei, I feel is very emotionally stunted. I don't think that, that that's a surprise. Like she got married off at a young age. But I think that's where she stopped growing as a person. So now she is older but she's not emotionally older at all. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it kind of like it's a juxtaposition. Yeah, you are getting older. In her mind, she's not old. She's still the queen, man. Yeah. So I just think it's a really interesting scene to kind of see her react to losing power and how she tries to get it back. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't really have a whole lot more to add, but like just definitely the uh, tension between her and Lady Marjorie. This is the first time we really see that. Right. Um and just her looking at this, you know, younger potential queen, this beautiful woman who obviously has her son in her thrall already. She's learning how to play Joffrey pretty much from the jump. Took um, no time. It took no yeah. time. She's been there for like two weeks or some shit. She already got a better hold than mom, you know what I mean? So right. obviously breeds more resentment. Um, and I, I love that she's like tossing off some passive aggressive shit like, Oh, uh, I see. Uh, it's a beautiful dress. Really, you're dressed you. like a whore. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> and I love it, man. It's great. Yeah. I think it's such a good scene. And she just like wa- like water on a duck's back, man. Just right, right, right to the side. Does not matter. Rolls right off. She mm-hmm. don't give a fuck. Because again, like, why get upset? You're in the catbird seat. Marjorie gets it more than most people do. Um, so this brings us to the final scene, which is uh, we were back in the east. Danny's kind of walking through uh what what's the, where are they at i'm sorry where's the slave astapor astapor okay i always said vastapor for some reason but astapor okay um and she's walking through there and she spots this cute little girl through the markets and she's kind of like playing peekaboo yeah. of sorts walking through this shit yeah, and walking she's, with jorah is that yeah. like an egg or is it just like a little uh like a little toy thing like a little compartment it's like a, it's a, it's a little toy thing i think okay so she's got a little toy thing and she's trying to like you know play like soccer or something she's rolling yeah. it back and forth and uh, then that little girl like disappears for a second and she, she followed that some dude is following her. The scene is actually really effective because they just have this hooded figure like following her the whole time. And you're like, Oh, here comes another one of them assassination attempts. Like they try mm-hmm. to disarm you. And then I guess by the time you figure out that the little girl is actually the threat, yeah, uh, you see who it is. She's- it's also a weird choice though, because you see that it's Barristan zombie way before he takes the hood off. It's a yeah. weird, like, <laughs> They, they kind of... Uh, I guess it's a surprise to them. <laughs> like, not yeah. to us. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, not, not to us so much. But yeah, like, the little girl is uh, one of the um, House of the Undying freaks with a blue mouth or whatever, disappears over the dock. And then Barristan Selmy uh, stabs this um, weird scorpion creature that comes out of this egg ball. Uh, point being, Barristan Selmy's in the mix, and he's like, hey, how may I serve you, my queen? I'm yeah, let me join. I served your fucking father, and yeah. I let me join your queen's guard. And, and Jorah's yeah. just like, oh, shit. <laughs> because, yeah. again, this is a reputable warrior. Like, yeah. you know, Barristan ain't nobody to be this fucked with. This is like one also, of the most accomplished knights in the realm. Well, can I just tell you, when game. I watched it, they do the previously on Game of Thrones, and they just showed that scene again where he's like, even now, how easy it would be to cut through all of you like cake. And I'm like, he would kill all of you bitches okay you ain't on the level of a barristan so i just i got on hype and i love that he's back in the fray and also 
you know, the, the enjoyable question is intentions in later episodes, but I do like that, I, at least for me, he's, he's a man of such honor, I don't see any possibility that he would be someone to, to be a turncoat. And so that's kind of where we leave. The episode ends where he's like, let me join your Queen's Guard. And that brings us to yeah. episode two, Dark Wings, Dark Woods. Dark Woods. So episode two starts with uh, Bran's having these fucking dreams now, right? Where he's running through the forest, which it's interesting to give a shot like that where you instantly know that it has to be a dream. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like, it ain't a flashback because we saw him be little when he got crippled. So there's no way of that. So you instantly know you're in a, a weird dream space, which is really interesting. Um, for one thing, you know, that scene that we saw, I think in episode one or episode two, when they're in Winterfell, where he's trying to, shoot the arrow and Arya fucking emasculates him immediately. Like we kind of get a repeat of that. Only it's the older version of Rob, the older version right. of John. Um, and I, I thought it was fucking great. And then you hear in the trees, Ned Stark. And this is the thing I really wanted to talk about. Ned Stark died episode nine of season one. His ghost is fucking powering the narrative of this show for the most part. Like it's interesting how often a dead guy who's been dead for more now than the show has been on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like he's been dead for 11 episodes to this point compared to the nine that he was on the show. Um, and he's still such a driving force. He haunts the narrative. And I just think that's a really fucking amazing thing. Uh, he also sees, what's his face? Uh, the fucking, the man of his dreams. Who's that kid? Oh, Jojen Reed? Jojen Reed. All right, that motherfucker yeah. shows up, right? And Yeah, the kid from Love Actually, right? Right, I guess all these kids got to start somewhere. Batman <laughs> Begins, Love Actually. Like, you know, whatever. all the classics. Notting the Hills. <laughs> what, what if, like, every actor on this, like, their first role was in some cute British-directed fucking film? You know what I mean? Like, just go, I mean, go down the line, dude. Yeah, the, the odds are in our favor here because they're all a bunch of fucking British chodes. Right. Um, uh, in the North, we have two Ravens arrive. Uh, Reese Bolton's like, hey, we got good news and we got bad news <laughs> he's like news from river run and news from winterfell and yeah not good not good news well some good news right river runs intact and shit it's mostly fine uh yeah. but winterfell it has fallen and this is the first time they know about it um right. which is problematic because again even though you the audience right we the audience we know that uh Brand's very much alive, that Rickon's alive, everything's copacetic in that department. No one else knows that. They're just in the wind. Um, and so they're fucking kind of scared. Rob, in his heart, believes that they're still alive, but he tells that to Catelyn, and Catelyn's fucking she's she's distraught as any mother would be, and she's kind of right. yelling about, like, have you heard anything from Theon? Because in her mind, like, if they were alive, Theon would have written. There would be a reason for them to be alive. Uh, they would right. leverage them for some kind of uh, positioning in the war. But instead, the radio silence makes her feel like, no, they're fucking dead somewhere. You know, Because as we know, they killed everyone left behind in Winterfell. They took torch to some people. And Catelyn's thinking the worst, man. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, really sad. Because like again, he can't commit his army to go back there to fix this problem. Um, so they're kind of depending on the Boltons here to, uh, you know, uh, fix this situation. And as we, as we go along, we, this is kind of, I'm not going to call it the season of the Boltons because that happens later, but right. this is definitely the season where we start to fully understand like who these people are, because I think that like for the first two seasons, they were kind of waiting in the wings. They were off to the side. We didn't know a whole lot about them. Uh, this season, we really start, uh, you know, we see the Dreadfort, we see how they operate, we see what these uh, flayed men are all about. 
Well, I think the other great thing about that is we, we think we're tracking the progress of one Bolton, but unbeknownst to us the entire time, we're tracking the progress of two Boltons and very effective when working together. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil anything, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, we cut from there at the mention of Theon to our boy Theon, who is now fucking being tortured. He's yeah. fucking tied He's up. up. On, a, on a thing. It's not a cross, but it's a it's thing. X. I don't know. It's yeah, an inverted X. cross. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Well, yeah. it, it's 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 not good. It's not a good awakening. And again, this is an example of the show being able to change its aesthetic enough that you instantly know where you are by the the, the shade of the of the, right. the scene itself. You know what I mean? Like the light that's being introduced. And so I think that's like this really fucking amazing thing it does. But this is the beginning of a long fucking sad arc for Theon. <laughs> like, and again, it's not like, like Theon didn't enjoy it the same, uh, the same way Tyrion enjoyed some success. You know what I mean? Like I guess right. he did very briefly, but never had control of that situation. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's like every time you think it's going to get better for him, it just doesn't. And it's just very sad. Um, yeah. But no, Th- Theon ways, gets to make a fun rah-rah speech before he gets knocked out and turned right. over to the Boltons. Um, but it's not explicitly said that that's where he is. Uh, we, there's some speculation, but you know he's in the north, and you know he's being tortured right. and questioned. Um, and no matter what answer he fucking gives, it does the not torture continues. Yeah, they're yeah. fucking driving nails into his feet and hands. They're flaying parts of his flesh already. It's well, listen, this this is a this is a thing I really want to talk about because I, I don't know if it's episode four or episode five, but when we get to it, I will make sure to tie it back together. But Theon has a very interesting arc here for the mm-hmm. entire season. Um, and it already manifests itself in the, by the fifth episode, which is where we're stopping today. So just remind me to get back to that. Um, let's jump to Brienne and Jamie, who are still traveling on the road. Longest fucking trip ever. And again, this is what betrays later seasons because we spend so yeah. much time walking, okay? <laughs> like, right. And shit. But it's a really great scene because Jamie still is being pompous, ass Jamie, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. really respect Brienne. Kind of is being like really fucking grody and sexually... Sec- sexualizing her in a weird way just being like i bet all the fucking guys back on the sapphire isle wish they could have taken you down and, and you wish you yeah. would have rolled in the mud with them a roll in the hay with big grin yeah. right exactly <laughs> nailed it um and he's just kind of a fucking asshole but there's this sweet moment and again this is why i fucking hate george R. R. martin this is why i hate hbo <laughs> there's a sweet moment where he's just like i understand he's making fun of her about uh hey, how Renly. She about renly yeah. He's like, you know, I get it. You don't get to choose who you serve. You don't get to choose who you love. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's sweet. Wait a minute. He's fucking his sister. Like, it's, it's this, right. <laughs> this constant struggle of being like, it's a beautiful love story. Wait, he's fucking his twin sister. Like, yeah. And his uh, twin sister is arguably one of the more evil characters. I, I think probably the most evil. Like, I don't think the, the, the White Walkers are, I mean, they probably have the reasons. You know what I, I mean? mean? Uh, there, there is a character we're about to meet that's uh, definitely given her some competition. Like there are a few actually in the show that are pretty next level evil. Um, right. We can do an evil, you know, March Madness <laughs> bracket another time. <laughs> yeah, man. For now, let's actually jump to to the Lady of the Hour. Cersei is with Joffrey, and Joffrey's trying to get all fucking fly for Marjorie, right? He's getting mm-hmm. some new threads made and shit like that. Is, is this the scene where he's like, the, the guy's like giving him flower cloth? Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to wear fucking flowers, guy. I'm a goddamn king. I'm a bro, all right? I'm a lion. <laughs> like, I'm just a really fucking lion. Bad. Yeah. Uh, but the scene is great because Cersei is trying her best to be like, yeah. I can still manipulate you and it doesn't work. And there's a line. Listen, I'm not a misogynist and I need to say that right off the bat. But <laughs> every great sentence is started that way. 
There's a part where, where you know, she, she, Marjorie tries to, or not, uh, Cersei tries to go after Marjorie saying like, well, she tried to fucking, you know, she was going to be married to Renly and she's a traitor and blah, 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 blah. Joffrey's like, she did what she was told to do. That's what intelligent women do, what they're told. And I'm like, God damn it, man. That's a good line. I mean, like, it's, it's not how I feel, but in this moment, I'm glad that it shut her the fuck up. You know what I mean? Uh, and that, that is Cersei's kryptonite because you can see her uh, flinch or cringe anytime um, somebody reminds her that she's a woman. Oh, dude, it, it's kind of like her arc for the season. Like, I can't wait to get into some conversations later with her and her father, but, like, you can tell that she is so upset. Like if she was a man, she would have taken over the whole she fucking world. Running everything. Yeah. I, it's, it's incredible. She's the scariest fucking, she's Tony Soprano's mom, dude. Like Pretty she much. would run the whole game. Yeah. If only and, give it the opportunity. And again, going in for the passive aggressive thing again about Marjorie, um, where the guy has like a piece of cloth with some flowers on it. And she's like, Oh, you could turn it into a dress for Marjorie. You should have enough fucking cloth. Um, <laughs> it's like a towel. <laughs> Why is she? She's so salty. Again, in her mind, she wants to be. I think it's like a combination well, of like. Again, there know. is a prophecy that we get into later, and Marjorie is directly in conflict <sighs> yep. with that. We, There's a scene that comes up. It. There's a scene that yeah. comes up that I thought of it, and again, we have to dance around it until we get it because I think it's one of the better fucking moments. But we'll get to that when we get to that. I'm sorry we keep saying that. There's just so this is the show, as you said, right? Martin writes with se like seeds. You know, he doesn't mm -hmm. know every, where everything's going, but he plants these things and he kind of sees how they grow out. And it's like, it's the same thing with the television show, the way things are plotted. You yeah. know, when we talk about the wire comparisons all the time, it's not just in scope, but it's like going back and rewatching the wire recently, they set up season three and season two, they set up season four and season three and so on and so forth. Like yeah. it was a meticulously plotted show. Game of Thrones very early on did the exact same thing. And so right. I just think we need to give it some praise. Um, from there, Shay and Sansa kind of talk about that weird meeting that uh, Sansa had with Littlefinger. Um, and she's not altogether pleased. She's like, you need to tell me if anything happens because I'll make him stop. Shay's straight gangsta, bro. Mm -hmm. Like, she, it's what makes you like her so much. I think it's because she doesn't understand this. Like, at times I'm so annoyed with her because it's just like, yeah. you're making shit hard on everybody. <laughs> but at the same time, like, no, she's, she's loyal to a fault, man. Fiercely, fiercely loyal and um, will protect Sansa at all costs. I love the turnaround there, too, because there's this, like, kind of twinge of, like, she doesn't want to be taking care of some little girl and being a maid or whatever, but immediately becomes very maternal yeah. maternal or at least like a, a big sister like she needs to protect this this child who yeah doesn't understand how the world works and doesn't understand what men are capable of yet absolutely um, um yeah. she uh sansa's summoned to the gardens and it's where we get a intro of another fan favorite and i fucking love like this is my lady man because Diana rig right uh is wait elena right isn't that her name Diana oh rig the actress you mean yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah so uh elena right from uh house tyrell who's rocking that cool fucking, I don't know what that hat is, but give me one of those for my birthday, man, because it's coming up and I want one of those hats. <laughs> my point is this, what I really like about her is that like her intro is great. I love that season three has so many intros to so many characters, right? We already got Tormund. Now we have Elena. We'll get a bunch more before the mm -hmm. season is out. Um, but what I really love about it is that she kind of makes the rounds of just talking to people in this season. She gets a one-on-one -on -one with Varys later. She gets a one-on-one -on -one with Tyrion, which brings me back to how I feel about Tyrion's arc this season. Later on, not the first half, but she talk with, she'll talk with Tywin. And that is, it's just like, again, we always talk about this show is just amazing when it's people in a room talking and they entered yeah. 
a new competitor in the third season right. who is able to go toe to toe with any of these fucking yeah, verbally spar with anybody. And she does, man. They fucking put her with all of the major players, as you just it's said. It's amazing, man. Um, in this yeah. scene, though, the whole point of it is that she's kind of like Marjorie's to be married to Joffrey, and Elena's like, give me the fucking down low. Like, what's, what's the dirt? Okay. Yeah. And you and, see, and Sansa him, is like terrified. Because well, it's weird. Like, you you see her struggling with the the what the right answer should be because she's been living under fear for fucking yeah. forever. Like knowing the one wrong word gets her either hurt by Cersei or hurt by fucking Joffrey himself. So it's a really interesting line that she walks, but she's she's visibly fucked up, man. She's mm-hmm. like on the verge of tears and, and 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 I love that before she can even spit out an answer, like some guy comes up with a platter and she's like, "I want cheese," and the guy's like, <laughs> "Cheese, oh, cheese will be after. served after." And he's like, I, I want it now. It'll be served now. And he's like, oh, fuck, okay. Well, she's great. She's a sassy fucker the whole time. Yeah. There's a part you can where tell she's like, she, she does not tip her fucking waiters at all. She doesn't right. give shit. <laughs> your fucking tip is that you got to serve me, Olena Tyrell, right. okay? And no, you're but kind of a, okay with it, yeah. There's this really great scene, though, um, where she's just talking shit about Renly the whole time, just being like, I just said he had no claim to this goddamn thing, like... He had, he has a older brother. Robert had a brother. He had a son. Like, what claim did he possibly have? But I guess once the cow is milked, there's no, (laughs) she just used like. You can't force the cream back in the teat or something like that. Something great. Something precious that immediately makes her the best character on the fucking show. Um, But yeah, they, they basically just try to get the the lowdown and Sansa spills the beans. Yeah. Like uh, he, he cut off my father's head and made me look at it. He's a monster. And right. then I love the like the music's playing. It's like it's yeah, it gets really ominous. And, it and then it just cuts to Elena, and she's like, eh, "All right, well, that's that's a shame." And Marjorie's just like, "Well, Marjorie well, doesn't even say well, anything." No, I think, I think like, the point is nothing was going to change them from marrying. They just now know how they have to yeah. play it, which is yeah. again, they're very smart. Like the Tyrells are coming from this, not from any other perspective than like we're going to run this fucking game. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's a really interesting way to how they kind of come uh, come about it. Um, Let's jump back to the north very quickly. It's a very brief scene, but again, descent is already in the air. Uh, Lord Karstark's lost a lot of stuff. And uh, wait, what? what? No, I was just picturing like Karstark losing his stuff, like his his vacuum like, cleaner. I I, I'm, I'm, I don't know where my TV is, my iPad. I can't find it. I've lost all, all my stuff. stuff. Is gone. <laughs> He's just freaking out. Check the fucking pawn shops, man. <laughs> but no he's, he's not very happy and he's very honest like permission to speak freely uh my grace. Like, haven't you been speaking freely this whole fucking time you no. whole piece <laughs> of shit because if i were i'd tell you and he says it straight up like you lost the war the day you married her again she rob broke her. a vow which is yeah. like you know someone called me out on this when i did the double toasted review and i think it's an interesting thing that we should explore in one way we say ned stark what the fuck is wrong with you you don't live in an honorable world okay um, why are you being so honorable? And then we chastise Rob for doing the same thing, right? Or for not doing the same thing, for breaking his honor. But I guess it's because, like, that's a strategic honor, man. It's like you're trying to win a war. Like, fucking marry someone, secure the fucking victory. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a weird line. Like, it's not a binary thing, honor, um, especially in the show. Like, it's, the show deals in gray areas. But, like, but with Rob, think about this quickly. With Rob, he then goes back to being incredibly honorable at times that are dis, uh, dis what's the word I'm looking for? That are disadvantaged. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, you know, I don't want to spoil it when we get there, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he rides that line of being honorable sometimes and then keep foregoing it when it's about what he wants. You know what I mean? 
Right. Uh, he's, he's picking the worst times to be honorable and the worst times to be dishonorable. Let's just say that. He's not making good calls here. Right. Um, and that's the kind of thing you need to do in war or in life even. But like, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at with it. Uh, Ned Stark didn't know how to play the game because he didn't know uh, how to survive. He didn't right. really consider that like he'd lose his head for the decisions he was making. And Rob is kind of like fucking like father-like son up to right. a point. Yeah. Well, let me let me bring this scene up because it's a scene that I absolutely adore. It might be one of my favorites um, of the of the first half of the season. There are two scenes specifically, and again, it's just two people sitting in a room talking to each other. Um, in this case, they're sitting outside, but uh, Catelyn speaks to um, fucking what's her name? God damn it, uh, Una Chaplin. I forgot her name. Rob's wife. Mm-hmm. What's her name? Talisa. Talisa. I'm so sorry. I just like Una Chaplin. I just see Chaplin over and over again. Um, they're talking and she's kind of creating that like little thing that's supposed to bring luck, right? Like, oh, you pray and it protects people yeah. and blah, 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 blah. But she tells this fucking amazing story and uh, she talks about how she she made one of these once a long time ago and she had wished ill on Ned Stark's bastard, on Jon Snow, okay? Right. He got sick and it's because she prayed for it because she was so angry that right. Ned, the Honorable Ned Stark, would ever do this thing, you know? Which, right. again, we, we promise not to go too far ahead in spoilers and shit like that, but the great tragedy of this is because, like, again, if you thought Ned Stark was too honorable to play the Game of Thrones, he was also too honorable to ever have done this fucking thing, okay? But yeah. he buried it, because that's yeah. how fucking honorable he was, man. He, he took right. a hit on he'll, his he'll, honor. He'll take the fucking heat for, like, having a bastard. <sighs> Again, no, like every lord is having bastards left not, and right. Not Ned Stark, man. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It's like they were the last honest fucking thing. You can say what you want about the Mormons. You can say that they're all good. I'm not saying that, but the Starks, they like meant something. And so him dying was like a really big thing. And she tells this amazing story about how one time he got sick because she had prayed for it. And then he got really sick and there was a really critical yeah. night. And, and a wonderful performance by Michelle. Farley, oh, she's amazing. She's like, I, I must be the worst woman in the world or the worst. Well, the it's world. a good scene because she, she blames herself for everything because what she effectively says, and again, it shows kind of that spiritualism, that religious superstitious, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that people have, which is like when he got sick, she then stayed up with him all night and she prayed to the, to the old gods and the new and the seven gods and the Lord light, and any God who would listen, like, please just like, let him live. And if he lives, yeah. I'll give him a proper name. I'll be a mother to him. I'll raise him. And it's like, oh my God, like I'm about to cry doing it. Right. And right. then like he survived and she couldn't keep her promise. And that breaks right. my heart because we know the person that Jon Snow is, who is a great yeah. person. And, man and of imagine honor. what it would mean to him to hear him say that. I, I know. And she could never do. That's the thing. Like, yeah. even Jon Snow was there, she wouldn't be able to say that. Like, those feelings would return again. That hardened, fucking callous feelings. But in this moment, she's able to say it. And she blames herself because, she, in her mind, this is the, uh, you know, the repudiation of the gods. Like, they're taking what they're owed because she made a promise that you didn't fulfill. You didn't live up to it. And so everything that's happened to the Starks, in her mind, right? Like, and again, she's talking about this because she now thinks Bran and Rickon are fucking dead and and, uh, you know, everyone's all fucked and, and Sansa's in capture. No one knows where Arya is and everything mm-hmm. is her fault. It's an amazing fucking scene. It's probably my favorite scene of the beginning uh, part of the season, man. And yeah, like you said, no, it's a wonderful, wonderful performance. Did you want to add anything to that before we jump beyond the wall? No, I think you, you said it um, as well as I could have. Just really, really touching and really tragic every time I watch it that Jon Snow couldn't hear that from her because the last thing that she ever says to him is like, get out. 
Right. Oh, it's so sad. You're right. Yeah. Oh my God. Ugh. All right. So depressing. I'm about to cry. All right. Anyway, listen, so let's jump beyond the wall very quickly. We get a tale of two camps, if you will. We see the wildlings briefly and we see the crows. Um, we'll start with the wildlings, which Mance kind of gives his speech and you touched upon it earlier about uniting the clans about yeah. bringing everyone together. And he's like, I did it by telling them the fucking truth. And you know how hard that is, by the way? Like, they speak six different languages. Like, I had to be a fucking boss, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, you really, like, it's amazing because he, he's really, like, basking in the glow of his accomplishments and at the same time being like, well, there won't be anything to glow in if we stay here. So we got to <laughs> figure this shit out. But I like that scene because you also get the introduction of other wargs. We've started to flirt with the idea of wargs with Bran, but now we see it full-fledged. Not it's yeah. this weird incubating uh, state of it, but straight up. And it's the dude from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean killing it. Good for that and guy. Also the original Dwight Schrute, right? Yeah, that is him. Holy shit. You're fucking right. I don't know yeah. why I didn't realize that until right now. But yeah, original Dwight Schrute, man. Yeah. Wasn't it Gareth? Yeah, Gareth yeah, in the Gareth, original Gareth. office. Yeah, um, that's right. So yeah, which is great. I really like that. We cut over to the night, the Night's Watch, and, and they're marching, and and people are talking shit about Sam, and like all our <laughs> brothers died at the fucking fist of the first men, but you're you're alive. Like, are you fucking kidding? Right. You should just sit here and die. And Sam, for a second, like, is overcome with it and kind of falls yeah, down. Like, but mm-hmm. yeah. really touching scene, man, with the the other two brothers. Do you know their names? I'm sure you do. Uh, Ooh, I do know their names. This is like <laughs> what's fucking me up, isn't it? Uh, Dolores Ed and uh, Gren. I'm so sure you're right because I do not know. But my point is this: they become more prominent specifically in season four, which I flirt with all the time as being my favorite season, even though I realize it's the beginning of the end. Like the, the, a lot of the problems that start to happen with the show definitely start in season four. But so it has I, a couple I, character I, moments I adore. You know what I mean? I, I should say that if I'm going to pick a favorite season, at least uh, this one, right? so far, it's season three. And I know yeah. that that's like the basic bitch answer of Game of Thrones because it's, it's like, but honestly, like even the front half of this season is so front loaded with crazy, mysterious, cool, tragic moments. Um, it doesn't take too long to really hit the ground running with plot movement. No, no, I mean, spectacle the reason that this is easily the answer is because it, it is the Game of Thrones that you knew and loved from seasons one mm-hmm. and two, but suddenly the story's expanded so much that a lot of the players who are now affecting the story now are yeah. introduced. It's when it becomes the perfect version of the show. And I yeah. think that's why I love season four, even though I, I will get to it when we get to it, but like that's definitely the moment where you start to see the cracks in the armor, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, we'll yeah, get- it's, it's firing on all cylinders. And I, I think it just does feel not just in budget, as you mentioned, but it just feels confident. Um, Absolutely. You know, you know, it's like even more than season two, which already felt pretty fucking confident. Uh, I don't know what else you wanted to say. No, I want to I want to jump. No, I just um, want to jump actually to the north. We'll, we'll, we'll jump to Brand very quickly, who uh, is chilling there with OSHA and everything's chill. Um, and then they kind of hear something in the woods and she goes to investigate and then, you know, mm-hmm. the fucking dire wolves growling. You're like, oh, shit. And it's that yeah. fucking dude. What's his name? I can, George, George, George uh, lo- Love actually. Jojen yeah. Reed. Jordan Reed. His name is Jordan J- Reed. Jojen. Jojen. No R. Okay. Jojen yeah. Reed. All right. Jojen. 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 Got it. Jojen Reed shows up. Right. And straight up baller motherfucker just goes up to the dire wolf is like, you ain't going to, you're not going to get me, man. Smell me. Right. I'm chill. We're friends. <laughs> Oh, she comes up with a spear. Immediately, Mira comes out of the shadows, you know, gets a fucking knife on her. And so we're introduced to these people, but 
again, Brand's been dreaming of this guy. So I yeah. don't think he's even threatened necessarily. Uh, I right. think he's just more intrigued than, than anything else. And we kind of start, this is the beginning of an arc that lasts for a couple of seasons, man. If you think yeah. about it. Yeah, because Brand's story, uh, he's taken out of the running for, what is it, season four? Or I think it's five. Five, yeah. Five, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it's something that definitely kind of uh, trucks on for a, a few seasons um, and a few years within the uh, context of the show, I think. Um, yeah. um, but no, uh, we, we meet Jojen and Mira Reed, um, and they have a nice, nice little standoff with Osha, Asha, always fucking forget. Um <laughs> you know, like getting a knife held to her throat uh, by Mira Reed. Right. And uh, Asha's like, you know, if you kill me, that dog is going to fuck you up. That wolf, <laughs> I mean, is going to fuck you up. And then Jojen goes right up to it like, oh, you must be Summer. What's up? Like fucking right. sticks his hand out. Dog's like, oh, okay. This guy's cool. It's kind of a pompous asshole move. Like, you know, if this was England, he'd be the poshest motherfucker in, in, in London. No, I, 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 I do got to say, though, I really like how this scene is shot. I like how they handle Jojen. I think it's a pretty cool uh, character and a good good little performance. You know, he's like this weird, mysterious kid. Um, and we kind of like get into Bran's arc here way more, like in terms of the mysticism of it. You're, you're important is basically what this guy is saying. Absolutely. Um, let's jump quickly. Now escape from Heron Hall. We have uh, Arya, Hot Pie, Gendry. <laughs> They're chilling. They're trying to hide on the yeah. road. And, and Gendry's um, saying what the audience is thinking is like, let me get this straight. You had Jack and Agar's like, you could kill any three people and you could have ended the war, yeah. but you didn't. Why not She's Tywin like, Lannister? Why yeah. not Joffrey? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And, and like, Arya's like, up. I got you out of Heron Hall. Shut up. And then they see the Brotherhood Without Banners walking around singing Reigns of Castamere. Um, I kind of like these dudes a lot, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. No, they're I, I fucked really up, like but they, they have they're a... like They're like honorable pirates or something. Um, <laughs> That's without a really ships. amazing way to explain it. Yeah, they are. <laughs> like, I would, they're not high society, but they have honor. And I think that makes right. the difference. You know what I mean? no, no, they have like a real light, fun sense of humor. And it's always kind of... Uh, fun to see him like the the tone of the show takes on this mysterious adventurous sort of uh kind of i don't know it's it's funny they're right. funny dudes and i think it's a comedian that plays thoros of Mir. i forget his name but i'm pretty sure he's oh he's like great comedian. i love um, him yeah yeah so so we get this little standoff and uh the brotherhood without banners uh kind of snatches him up a little bit right i just yeah. want to very quickly before we jump on to the next scene i love aria in that scene because there's fucking hot pie okay pussy whatever but mm -hmm. you know gendry's supposed to be like a tough guy and who is the one he goes out there to cover yeah. for her two friends but aria. aria immediately just with her sword out yeah. like hey if you leave us alone keep singing so that i know yeah. where you are and i I'll, won't, I kill, won't you. kill you <laughs> like holy shit and, and i love that because he's just like you're just a dangerous some, person I yeah like <laughs> i like dangerous people they're immediately not threatened at all <laughs> <laughs> um but she she's just great in that scene that you know there's a part where she's like well why are your friends so shy and she doesn't give them away she stares right back at him never glances to the left or whatever it's just yeah Arya has a couple moments in the season that are very fucking interesting. My favorite is in episode five, uh, five, Kiss by Fire, but we ain't there yet, man. Let's go quickly back to King's Landing. Tyrion comes back to his quarters. He's got some moderately better quarters now from the fucking, like, the really the small, closet. Yeah, the closet that he was in. Yeah. King's Landing. Uh, but Shay's there, and this is what I was talking about, where I'm like, Shay fucking annoys me. Because, again, like, Tyrion's like, 
how many times have I told you? Like he's trying to like, right. again, do you think this is a laughing matter? We, we glossed over this earlier, but when Tywin or when Tyrion was leaving that really heart wrenching conversation, he's like, also the next whore I find in your chambers, I'll hang. You know what I mean? So this is not an idle threat. We already know that uh, Tyrion married. Yeah. His dad's not a few hundred miles away. He's there now. And right. Tyrion has to tread very fucking lightly because he's not in a position of power like he was. It's not good, right? Like it's 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 and she doesn't seem to understand that in the same way that he understands that. And so that's my point, it's a little annoying. But the crux of that scene is like, uh we have to protect Sansa. And again, what you were saying, such an about face from who Shay was when she was first like, you know, shoved into the employ of being Sansa's chambermaid, you know? Yeah. Um, she's kind of come around to understanding this is her duty, is a responsibility, and she takes some pride in it. And she wants to make sure that Sansa is going to be okay. I think that's really sweet, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. So let's jump one more time. So we're still in King's Landing. But let's talk about Joffrey really quickly. Joffrey's got that crossbow. And again, this is a scene where you fully, if there was any doubt beforehand, you now fully understand that Marjorie gets the fucking She came game. to play. Yeah, yeah, dude. So he's got that crossbow. And, and, and Joffrey's doing that thing where he's going to be a cruel motherfucker. Where mm-hmm. he you can already see him turning the, the attention from affection that he has for Marjorie already. Cause he's been like, you know, for better or for worse, he's been fine. He's been to Marjorie. his best self. Yeah. yeah. That's not anything wrong. We start to see that, that fucking slope where he's just yeah. like, Oh, you try to fuck a traitor. Why didn't you, you know what I mean? And right. she is so good about it, man. Like she yeah. understands, like take a step back, answer correctly. Like, yeah. She's basically like, yeah, he was a uh, fucking gay. <laughs> he was one of them gays. Well, that's a good scene too, because she's like, he was a known degenerate. I've thought about making that uh, act illegal yeah. under the crown. And again, that affects Marjorie because Marjorie as knows Loras. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but she right. answers very, yeah. very smartly as is your right, right as king. Which is great. Uh, the crossbow. She, she doesn't that end with that, that fucking haunting scene where they're looking in the mirror and he's, yeah, like uh, she's like, I wonder how it must feel to pull a trigger here and watch something die over there. And you see right. Joffrey like basically cream his pants. dick like, got oh my so God. fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> and she's I mean, like, would seriously. you take me on a hunt, Your Grace? And she's like, Oh, I'm sorry. And he's like, It's not unheard of. <laughs> he's a fucking sadist, man. Like, yeah, he yeah. wants to fuck. He wants to fuck Marjorie, but he wants to fuck her as long as she kills like a boar or something if not a human it's right very fucking weird uh but it's it but it but it, it's also like so predictable like a man is either motivated by like fucking sex which she could do like yeah. that's certainly one way of manipulating but she gets it immediately yeah. not how you're gonna manipulate Dude, him. dudes either want to fuck or fight and she's like well let's, let's uh fucking prey on old jeffrey here she gets it uh we cut back very quickly to uh theon having the proverbial and the literal screws put to him <laughs> Uh, as he's being tortured. But the reason I'm bringing this up is we get the first appearance of who we know uh, as Ramsey. Of the janitor. Yes. Well, His name is sorry. the janitor, Christian. The janitor. He's just a guy. He's there to mop. I don't know what the problem uh, is. Well, again, he's a fan favorite. Everybody really likes this character because, you know, immediately just showing sympathy. It's the janitor from Scrubs. Same guy. He shows up. <laughs> he's just in this world. No, I mean, this is the problem. And I'm sorry to, to kind of jump the gun on that. But the yeah. truth is this. One, I just saw this fucker in L.A. So I just need to, again, take a second and be like, I saw this guy. And right. he is like a full like fucking foot shorter than me maybe or at least six inches i don't know i'm drunk 
but uh, horrifying, still so scary still because imposing. of his work on this. And I never knew that he was that short because they, they do the Tom Cruise thing where they yeah. shoot him from like upward <laughs> angles or whatever. You never really see him and Alfie Allen standing right. next to each other. Yeah, because that guy um, is fucking forever tall, man. You know, he's yeah. like six foot well, compared, six or something. But compared to Ramsey, yeah. In this scene, we, we see him and he you're right. He's introduced as this guy who's cleaning up the, the stable yeah. or whatever that, that Theon's being uh, kept in. And so it's it's... Again, I'm just imagining it's one of those things like the burden of knowledge, like watching this for the first time has to be like, I don't even remember what it was like, but it had to be the most thrilling fucking thing of the entire world. No, I, I remember like watching this for the first tell time. Tell the tale. Whatever. So you're being lulled into a false sense of security. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh man, you know, like Theon, like he deserves some punishment, but like, you don't, you don't like once you see him getting tortured, you're like, okay, yeah, no guy, one like, deserves that. Yeah. Like Jesus fucking Christ. So like you see this fucking janitor and you're like, oh, look at this goofy bastard. You know, like he's, he's going to help out Theon. This is going to be great. Theon's going to get out of here. And then I started reading the books as the season was airing because it got fucking spoiled for me by a drunk girl at a party. Right. And I kind of caught up to that point by the time it was revealed that this guy is not on the up and up. He's actually the most vile, evil character in the show, maybe. It's fucked up. And that's the, but that's my point. Watching it the first time, it's like, we know what we know. And it makes me appreciate Ramsey so much more. Let me be real. There are a couple times during this season that I am like a little freaked out at how much I like the bad people in the story. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and we got to talk about what that means in a minute, but we got two more places to jump to. Let's very quickly jump back to Aria and the brotherhood without banners. They're in a pub. Yeah. A pub that hot pie will stay in. Sorry. Just get that out of the way now, but you know, he's good at making brown bread or whatever. Uh, but the, the big takeaway is like, she's like, this is supposed to be a meal and then you can go on your merry way. Right. And at the end and of that, he's like, meal, I'm a man of my word. I'm going to let you go. Hey, he's a cool dude. At the end of that meal, they're about to fucking, you know, fuck off going on a merry way. There's this cute moment where Arya tries like she, to fucking She pulls sword a sword fight. on him. She's like, my brother's taught me. And he, like, immediately disarms he, her. He's kind of adorable, that guy. Doros, like, yeah. <laughs> He seems like a dude of honor, man. And he's fucking yeah. with the kid. Your brothers. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> he's and cool, then but who comes in with a bag over his head being escorted by the Brotherhood without the banners? Look what I just caught. Right. Um, but the fucking hound. And Arya's like, oh, God. Which is interesting that the hound would, would have been caught knowing what we know about him, that he's like pretty much a badass, doesn't really lose in anything. And yet he was he caught is. after deserting the crown. Which but is he's also kind of a drunk at this point, too. That's true. Yeah, you're right. He's been not as sharp as he once was. And he's... I think they even say, and I could be wrong, but I think they say, like, yeah, we found him passed out and uh, fucking just tied him up. That's great. So no one had to be really brave. No one had to beat the hound. The hound beat no. himself. That's what you do. You wait. Pretty much. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And they uh, take the hood off of his head, and immediately he recognizes Arya, and he's like, hey, you whoa. girl. What are you, what doing, are you with doing with the stock, with the stock bitch? bitch? <laughs> and does the episode not end there? No, it doesn't. Uh, oh, okay. Because I believe, no, I think you're right. I think we just skipped over something. You're right. It ends there. But what the scene before that, though, is Brienne and uh, Jamie fight on that bridge. Mm. Right? Like he gets a sword right. and he's like, I never understood why knights needed two swords and he's going right. to fucking fight. A couple things happen here. One, yes, Jamie is tired. Yes, he's malnourished. Yeah, he's at a practice. Sure. But let's not pretend that that's the reason that he lost to Brienne. Brienne's just fucking good, you yeah. know. Like, I like that he's commenting on her technique as they're going, like as he's you getting his you ass kicked. Wince before you're about to strike. Gives, gives up the game. the game. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean he's getting his ass kicked pretty much the entire time. But you know he's yeah. got a pithy comment and it works, and she beats him. And it, 
It's really interesting. And in that moment, the victory is short lived because right. uh, fucking people come up and it's the Boltons. And Jamie's just like, you know, my dad, I'll give you some money. <laughs> he just immediately goes to the dad card. And he's like, is your dad going to give me enough money to give me a new head? Because that's what's going to be taken from me if I let the Kingslayer go. Puts them in fucking custody. And uh, the episode effectively ends there with now Jamie and Brienne. Brienne in danger of not completing her task that she promised Lady Stark of delivering right. Jamie back to King's Landing. In fact, he's fallen back to the enemy. So uh, that's where we are after two episodes, man. That brings us to episode three. Uh, Walk, Walk of, of punishment. punishment. Episode three uh, opens... I don't want to call it a Viking funeral because I don't know if Vikings are real in this world, Max. It's, it's a comedy funeral, though. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Again, I was saying it earlier, yeah. right? Like, the show is incredibly funny sometimes because they're trying to – it's a somber moment. Like, we know from being, right. like, savvy audience members how this we is supposed to play out. just hear the sound out. of the wind and the trickling water, and they're sending Lord Hoster Tully, which is Catelyn's uh, father – um right. off on like a little like uh, a boat with some fucking brambles and branches and shit right and, and so listen king rob he's the king he ain't gonna fire that fiery arrow that sets him off onto the river right, right? it's so gonna be catelyn's baby brother fucking uh lord edmure tully <laughs> <laughs> so everything is so immaculately placed on the canoe the canoe is pushed right. ever it's, so it's gently into the current <laughs> into the current and he has to light an arrow and shoot it and light it on fire he misses first time right. no big deal happens guy right yeah, it happens. goes in for a second arrow all the time uh, misses okay uh, we're wow. starting to get some groans from the gallery here <laughs> <laughs> that was the problem making this public because you could have just said it was a, a smashing success but now right. you gotta actually burn it he goes <laughs> for a third some, one some town finds him like way down river <laughs> like again there's no internet so it's fine <laughs> that would never get back to the village yeah we found like a corpse in a boat with a bunch of branches in it i don't know what this is some weird. like riverlands <laughs> shit um but the third one is also a failure. And at this point, the Blackfish is pissed. He and, uh, yeah. I want to talk about, again, in the same way that Arya emasculated the fuck out of Bran in that first yeah. episode of the show. He, he like, goes up roughly there. shoves him to the side, looks at the fucking flag with the wind, doesn't even look, shoots it, walks away. He's so confident he's, he's got it. He's fucking, he yeah, dude, he's Jordan in the fourth quarter. Like, doesn't even have to see the shot go in. He's like, I shot it, it's going in. Let me just go get some Gatorade right. now. He's like, like a cool a- guy walking away from an explosion. Like, he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. It's the yeah. Westerosi equivalent to the Tom Cruise glory mm-hmm. shot as he walks away. It's a really badass scene, and again, it establishes and, the and Blackfish. our introduction of the pretty much the Tully family outside of right. Lysa and Catelyn. So we, we get Edmure and we get the Blackfish, um, which is it's pretty neat. It, but that kind of tells you everything you need to know about the Blackfish, too. Like, it's not yeah. like he's some glory-seeking guy. It's not like he was immediately trying to take the shot. He was just trying to do it because that's what it should be right. done. That's his fucking brother floating there. Yeah. He wants to send yeah. him off the, the river runway, you know what I mean? Which is like kind of a the Tully way rather yeah you know? it's, yeah it's, i mean you know they're from the riverlands so they bury their dead in rivers right of fucking course <laughs> fucking lame uh <laughs> we get to king's landing and this is again like the show has no right to be this funny but this is the scene where tywin has called his first uh small council meeting changed the setting now we're in a place much closer to the hands quarters and it's this amazing scene where like he also knows what he's doing <laughs> like it's, yeah 
he has an empty fucking table and he's just already sat down at the far side and Varys and Meister Pycelle and Littlefinger all show up at the same time look at Tywin look at each other <laughs> and Littlefinger of course the first to act because it's all about who is closest to the hand because right. literally proximity to the hand is power at this mm-hmm. point it's fucking weird Varys don't give a fuck you know he's like all right go Littlefinger first person to sit down Right. Then Varys, then Meister Pycelle. Then uh, Cersei shows up and she's like, I don't like the seating arrangements. Grabs a chair, moves it to the other <laughs> side of the thing. Not to be outdone, even though that moment is right. hilarious. Fucking Tyrion shows up. is like, fuck you star fuckers. Because that's what they're doing. They're star fucking uh, Tywin Lannister. And just very loudly drags it and puts himself at the furthest point away from his father. Right, man. Talk about just visual storytelling. No dialogue in that scene before mm-hmm. you know everyone sat down, and uh, tells you everything you need to know about every single one of those characters. It's right. like and, and also the fact that Tywin has transplanted all of these meetings and moved them to the Tower of the Hand, which is not right. what's done. It's usually you know there's a small council chamber for the small council meetings, and he's like just right out of the gate, power play. You're going to come to me. I'm not going to come to you. Right. No, yeah. it's a, again, I, I am a little troubled by how much I like Tywin Lannister. And this is not like the, the breaking point at all. Like, there's just more and more scenes of admiration. But in this scene, we get this really great moment where Littlefinger is basically, uh, it's, 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 it's openly suggested like, okay, Lady of the Vale, right? Let's, Littlefinger is about to effectively triple his standing in the world mm-hmm. as a reward for brokering the Tyrell deal to begin with. Right. He was right. already rewarded a little bit. He got Heron Hall and that, but now they're talking about like, go get Liza Aaron mm-hmm. and you guys can have a romance and then you'll get the, the eerie as well or the veil as well. And it's this whole fucking thing. And uh, it's really great, but that is a Tyrion tries to throw a fucking, uh, you know, a stick in that, bicycle chain if you will right he's, he's going yeah. in there just like well look we're about to have a royal wedding those things cost money not a good idea we we're sure we're low on wheat we just spent a lot of money defending the city he shouldn't go we shouldn't be without the master of coin tywin fucking five steps ahead of him yeah no no problem because you're gonna be the uh you know master of coin which yeah. again like i love this scene because it gives Tyrion power, but the most miserable version of power. If anything goes wrong economically, he's the he's the the buck stops with Tyrion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, he's like a lifetime of spending money has done me well, but I have no idea how to manage money. Right. Uh, this is and- not his strong suit. This is a guy who's throwing bags of fucking coins at you know jailers to get out of shit. Right. Um, he does not know how to how to manage money or anything like that. And the problem is like you can't you can't negotiate with the decimal point. And that's sort of what Tyrion fucking realizes um, very quickly. Very apt analysis. You, you put it all in one sentence, Max. Um, it's a good scene. I like it. It shows the defiance and it also shows that Tywin is so fucking in control of everything that right. it doesn't um, matter what you do. And does not, uh, he, he also demands, Tywin demands to know where Jamie is and asks his, you know, master of whispers, Varys and Varys like, I don't know. Yeah, I, honestly, he's just like you're know. telling me that everyone in the north fucking knows. Everyone, period, knows that Jamie's out in the wind, but you don't know where he is. Like right. again, this is a, it's a weird place for Varys to be. Varys has always prided himself on the intelligence game, right? His his, right. his knowledge, and he's kind and, of rendered speechless at the moment. It's not a good yeah. look for Varys. And also, like never usually the object of you know someone's direct attention like that right. like the laser focus of tywin he yeah really, uh, Varys's superpower is being everywhere and never being like mentioned yeah. or noticeable enough to be to, to given direct attention right. and now he's like fucking first day on the job tywin's like who the fuck are you and what are you doing for my fucking employee you know what i mean right 
It's like when Holly Flax comes to work at Dunder Mifflin, she turns to Creed Brad and she's like, what do you do? And he's like, excuse me. Like, this bitch is asking questions left and right. What do I do? By the way, I'm pretty sure there's an office scene as an analog for every Game of Thrones scene. And as we continue this, for the, the truly traumatic ones, I mm-hmm. hope we reach and find a Dunder Mifflin equivalent. But oh yeah, um, let's jump over to Brienne and Jamie because w- Would Scott's Tots be the reigns of Castamere? <laughs> it clearly is. Or would it be? No, it would be dinner party, right? Uh, yeah, I guess it would be dinner party, right? Because that, that literally was like being stabbed in the pregnant bed. I don't, I don't, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, we're spoiling shit. That's later season. Uh, let's jump over very quickly. Captive, Brienne and Jamie are bickering as they're like, you know, in, in, in shackles of sorts. Mm-hmm. They're roped up. They're on the thing. Mm-hmm. The, the scene I really took away from this it, more than anything is... Uh, <laughs> they really impress upon you that rape is a fucking thing in this world, right? That like, she is a a more than capable physical specimen. We've seen her best many men and shit like that. Yeah. Yet she's still a a woman in captivity from men who will not be taken to task or receive any justice from doing whatever they want. It's almost like a a widely acknowledged and and, and understood fact that, you know, a fucking army full of dudes, they need to, you know, rape every now and then. Well, dude, it it really, it hit me in a way it hadn't the first couple times I've watched the show. And I guess maybe that's the whole point of doing a deep dive is really starting to see the things that maybe you didn't see the first four times you watched the show. Yeah. Uh, but it was something that really affected me because it's just like, Oh man, Brienne, you never think of her as like the object of, of that because she's so mm. capable. And at the same right. time you realize that it doesn't matter how capable you are. Like this is a world run by men of honor, but men of honor will fucking rape you. It was just, it was, Really hard pill to swallow, man. It was a it was yeah. a good scene nonetheless. It's a little um, rough. Let's jump back really quickly to our boy Hot Pie. I did spoil this beforehand, but our boy <laughs> Hot Pie, he's gonna stay behind. The Brotherhood without banners, they're about to take off. They uh, put the hound in a paddy wagon of sorts, right? <laughs> they're they're transporting him. We don't know, really know where they're going yet, but they're they're right. going someplace. They're they're leaving there, and Hot Pie bakes a wolf for Arya. Aww. Doesn't look like a wolf, by the way, but you know, but whatever. you know, he tried. His name is Hot Pie. He doesn't have an actual person's name, you know, so uh, it's the best he could do. Well, well yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's playing with the fucking No one, yeah, dealt. like just the fact that he could use a medieval oven, like all the power to him. <laughs> uh, from there, we cut back uh, Catelyn and the Blackfish. And again, a better expositional scene about the Tully family themselves. Catelyn tells some stories about when her father would go off to war, you know, these like real childlike impressionistic views of, 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 of fatherhood and stuff like that you know she mm-hmm. feels that way about him he obviously has a different relationship that's his brother brothers fight you and i know this you know like there's a complicated legacy with brothers and how they fight and they do these things and they may not talk for years that doesn't mean they don't love each other there's a bond that is so entrenched with being brothers that that shit doesn't get broken because you have a disagreement or one person's too stubborn or whatever because that at the time of his death the blackfish hadn't talked to him in a very long time right like there was one final conversation that he kind of alludes to where he's like, he told me to stop going by the blackfish. And he's like, more people know me as the blackfish than know my real name, you know? Yeah. And it's just, I don't, it was again in a world where there's so many other stories going on, the patience to be like, let's give you some fucking much needed family history about these people. You've heard a bunch. We haven't seen up until now. And I feel like in one scene, I know who the blackfish is. I know his sense of honor, his sense of morality, all that right. shit. 
And, uh, and also I understand Callan a little bit more too. You know, it's a, it's a really great scene expositionally for you to understand why these people are the way they are. Yeah, no, I mean, this season especially, we see Catelyn not just as a mother or the wife of Ned Stark or as Catelyn Stark, but as Catelyn Tully, too. That there's this whole history she has before she ever met Ned Stark. Um, that I, I think it's great. And, and I think it just furthers uh, her character, makes her more three-dimensional, too, which is cool. And also the Blackfish is a fucking G. Yeah, no, he's an OG, man. He's a badass for sure. At literally my note, the top of the list, Blackfish, badass. That's all I said. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, we cut to uh, the, the, oh, so the Lannister cousins, the distant relatives of the Lannisters who are prisoners of the Starks. All right. Interesting thing here. Martin Lannister is uh, Tommen, 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 whatever, Tommen, right? Uh, the fucking Joffrey's brother. Now, he's not in the early seasons, but when they recast him... Yeah, they, they did a little five, recast. They pulled a mountain, you know, and... Uh, at least switcheroo. the fucking kid who played Tommen when he was younger looks like the kid who plays Tommen when he's older. The mountain looks like three different people, man. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's very fair. Um, and also should clarify that Tommen, even though he gets recast and aged up in the later seasons, he's a little boy in the books right now. Like, really tiny little boy. Well, let me ask you a question quickly, not to put a halt in our episode three progress, but the entirety of the story as told, it's been years, hasn't it? Or no, you're still saying like, like, I'm just wondering how old Tommen would be in the, like where we are in the books now. Uh, I, I think it's, it's been a couple of years, but no, like from the time we've last seen Tommen in the books, he was like playing with a little cat named Sir Pounce. Sir Pounce. Yeah. My um, favorite character in the whole he's, show. He's like, uh, I don't, I don't even know how old he's like seven or something. Like maybe younger. Like, he's okay. A Cause I did think that he was like 12 or 13 when they age him up in the yeah. later seasons. Okay. So yeah, that, that makes sense. Perfect. I was just trying to figure that out. Okay. That makes and they do that with a lot of the characters for obvious reasons. It gets less creepy um if they're not 12 years old for most of them right um so we may have glanced over this when we talked about the warg from earlier right the warg beyond the wall but when he was warging what he saw is he went to the fist of the first men and what he saw was dead crows everywhere um so when we come back to beyond the wall uh we are now at the fist of the first men but we don't see any dead crows instead we see all the dead horses they've been killed more importantly they've been scattered (laughs) Uh, to be in this really weird uh, spiral geometrical symbol. Uh, I mean, I love about Uh, that. I don't know who says it, but someone says, like, whoever the fucking artist they are. (laughs) Which is kind of funny. Like, what I like about that, too, is because they never, um, to my knowledge, they never explain what the symbols are. They don't do it in the pilot when you first see the bodies all scattered. You don't see it. uh, They don't get an explanation now either. But I think what it what it kind of suggests to me, and tell me what you think, because I think this is where like where there's not a, a, a right answer. This is where we can kind of make one ourselves. I always kind of looked at it as a situation where like you know what's more scary than knowing what it means? It's the fact that these aren't some mindless killing machines that like they, they have can, some kind of culture, or whatever some kind it is, of purpose or something creeps me the fuck out it makes them not just mindless animals it makes them intelligent creatures and i think that is what's important about it like without knowing what any of it necessarily means um in a symbol uh you know equation but just in that that they are not mindless killing machines i think that's an important thing it kind of lets the enemy know that their enemy is somewhat formidable you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't really have anything else to add to that. I, I would definitely agree. Um, it's it's an unsettling aspect 
that they're not just a force of nature. There's something else going on. There's more organization to them. Right. Um, but we just don't understand what that organization is, what that communication is, what that, you know, art is. Are they just making some abstract art? Maybe. Yeah, right. They're the Jackson Pollocks of yeah. the Westeros world. Uh, but no, so in that same scene, very quickly, Mance kind of gives the order to like, yo, ride towards the wall. He tells that to Tormund, right? And he mm-hmm. says, like, wait for my signal. Like, uh, have your talks to the warg he's like have your 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 eagle your hawk whatever the fuck it is your raven have it fly uh by the wall every night and when you see the fire i'll light the biggest fire you've ever seen and that's your signal to go so you know there's, there's some shit going on man is, is, is about to fulfill or at least act on. yeah man yeah. and again i like him the whole time like they have done nothing to make him anything and maybe that's totally by design it's just like they, i've not seen one indefensible action from mance yet Anything that would dissuade me from him somehow being inferior to the civilized world of Westeros, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, the, the argument that you could make and it is made is that, you know, when you bring the wildlings over the wall, um, that opens up Westeros, a civilized world to some not so civilized people. Not all the wildlings are created equally, but as we find out later, some of them are fucking cannibal tribes, you right? Know? Some of them are fucking. Fucking fens, man. Everyone hates them. They're pieces yeah. of shit. Fucking fens. Uh, but um, but yeah. there means to an end. So like he needs all of them to uh, accomplish his goal of fucking getting out of the north. Right. Uh, still beyond the wall because remember Jorah and the uh, or not Jorah, excuse me, Lord Mormon, um, and the rest of the crows are trying to head back to the wall because you know they know what's coming. They got to warn people properly. So they finally kind of come up, come back upon Craster's Keep. And he's a godly man, as he keeps saying, because he's letting them in. Remember, they didn't leave on the best of circumstances, and yet this is their lifeline in the, the north and the cold and the winter. They don't really have another way forward without this dude. So they're kind of like, they show up unannounced, like hoping he's going to take them in. And yeah. even though he's a fucking douchebag, <laughs> he does take them in for a little bit. I mean, he is. Give me another name. What is he, Max? Don't laugh at me. That guy's a total douchebag. Man. No, yeah. I mean, that's definitely one word to describe him. Um, <laughs> uh, the, you, could, you could talk all day and never run out of words to describe this piece of shit. You know, he's like, not. When I think guy. douchebag, I think like frat really nails backwards it. hat, you know, fucking Ray Bans. It, it, it also American infantilizes him. It makes him not even worthy of an adult insult. You know what I mean? Which is what I really love about it. But um, in this scene, we also uh, see that uh, Gilly gives birth to a boy. Sam witnesses that after being insulted Which a bunch. Is by great the way. news for Gilly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like you know, boys are notoriously welcome. Her on the back and saying, "Oh, congrats on your boy." You know, Craster loves them. He loves keeping them around and totally not leaving them in the woods for some creature to take. Right. Uh, it's a rough go for any boys born. It's all <laughs> from there. Let's cut back very quickly. Uh, we'll go to our boy Theon. Theon, uh, we didn't really get into this and we should have, but like, yeah, we have the introduction of the janitor, uh, the introduction of Ramsey Snow at this point. He's not Ramsey mm-hmm. Bolton. Uh, but he's like, hey, your sister sent me. I'm going to get you out. That's what he said in the previous episode. It's important right. because now he is back and he's like, I'm going to get you the fuck out of here. He, he, you know, he fucking gets him out of the shackles. He helps him escape. He puts right. him on a horse and he's like, ride east. I'll find you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like your sister will, will get you out of there. And, and again, like I'm just trying to put myself in the position of watching this for the first time being like, 
Yes. Yeah, he's going to get out. He's going to get out of there. He's going to be fine. It's all going to work out for him. Um, it's immaculately and, plotted, man. Like in terms and, of when you get information, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's so good. It's so, so hopeful. Good. He's like out in the wide open country riding for an entire night pretty much, but finds out that he's still being followed by his captors. Right. Um, I don't know if we just want to like finish up his story for this episode right now, or if you want to jump back to that. Um, um, well, I mean, no, because that doesn't happen this episode. So we got to wait. We have to wait one more up. It's in four that that happens, what you're thinking of. So let's wait on it. But uh, we can say this, that like on his, while he's out riding, he is about to get captured again. And then the janitor, our boy Ramsey, saves him. Like he yeah. starts arrowing all those fucking people. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like the big reveal of it all or whatever. No, no. Like he, he gets like knocked off of his horse and right. one of his captors is like, about to literally rape him yeah. and then uh you know old ramsey comes up saves the day shoots them all with arrows i believe one of them calls him a bastard which is a great <laughs> touch you bastard <laughs> yeah like that's the other part of it is i'm trying to figure out like is this how fucking crazy he is that like uh, whose men are these <laughs> like he's just right. killing people for a practical joke like he's a fucking he's killing his own men yes these are uh, these are the boltons these are the bolton men and he's, he's just like fucking fucking amazing again why do i like these people so much it's like the dedication to the bit is yeah. so impressive just man. why would anybody want to be a bolton um <laughs> neither here nor there we'll let's jump that. let's jump away from there let's go back to uh stannis and stannis is having a fucking crisis uh of faith at the moment because melisandre is about to leave she's like i gotta get the fuck out of here i'll be back he's freaking out where are you going you're abandoning me she's like no you know yeah. he's he's trying to he's yeah like, and he's he's even like uh let's try for another kid like let's bang right, right now and she's well like, and he oh, tries and and the, what's really amazing about that is like it's it's like the 20 percent of effort like only the yeah. first move and then he kind of like fizzles out and she's and like she's like you don't have the strength homie your fires burn low my king <laughs> like, i'm like <laughs> holy shit like, yeah uh but she basically is like there there are other ways you there you're not the only one who has your blood's running through your veins veins right which again set up right. for later seasons but like right now we're not even thinking about that you know because we the audience haven't even been introduced to some of these characters that will end up being so important to the overall mythology and she's gonna go get some king's blood and it's not stannis's exactly point here and she's um, off and he's like well fuck i don't know what to do um uh, <laughs> so that's pretty okay. much where we leave him yeah, so now let's jump to the east really quickly because we uh, we get the, the the namesake of the episode, the Walk of Punishment, which is the in Astapor. I said it right, right? I nailed it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, nailed yeah, it. You did. You awesome. killed it. Uh, we we see that again. This is a slave country, which you know, and and the liberated Westeros. That's not a thing, you know. In fact, again, why was Jorah, you know, kicked out of Westeros without any honor? Because Ned Stark found out Jorah sold humans like sold men into slavery it's a big no-no in westeros but not here not in the far east and so she's kind of seeing all these customs she's sort of appalled by it rightfully so danny's not about it she's getting some big ideas in her head and shit but beyond that she's also it's seeming seemingly stuck between the ideology of jorah and barristan selby right like they're they're homies like they're at this point there's no competition between them necessarily but you can mm -hmm. see her kind of struggling between you know what they're gonna do I and mean, there's this great line that jory has where like there's a beast in every man and it stirs when you put a sword in his hand you know what i mean yeah. like the idea that are we gonna buy slaves or are we gonna buy the army like you have to understand that like these things are not necessarily mutually exclusive and like right. she's talking about people fought for your for your your brother right because they loved him 
they fought for your father because they loved him before he went crazy. And it's just like, not because they were slaves or they were bought to do so, they were commanded to do so. And so she's kind of stuck between that ideology. It's interesting, but I'll give her more credit. The first two seasons of her kind of being helpless, but failing upwards. Mm-hmm. This is the first time she kind of seems more in control of anything. And I think that's why it's so refreshing. Like for the first time, and I even say this in a later episode when we get to it, I'm totally on board with the mother of dragons thing, man. <laughs> like finally we get yeah. to that point. Well, we, we get some like really uh, emotional arguments for why she deserves to be a leader um, right. in this season. Um, whereas in the first two, we didn't really get a whole lot of that. It was a lot of entitlement backed up by nothing in this season. It's about her. Like she gets backup. You know, and it's starting with Barristan. Um, she doesn't just have Jorah who idolizes her to advise her. She right. has this other person with an opposing point of view. She's surrounding herself with people who are willing to disagree with her or advise her, and she's willing to take that advice or ignore it. Um, but basically, she's spending all this time walking around listening to this guy. Uh, what is his name? Karaznis. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's just fucking. This motherfucker is like the. Well, who's that fucking uh, the, the 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 fly guy from Star Wars Episode One? You know, uh, the, the guy, that motherfucker. Yeah, that <laughs> That's basically who he is. in This fucking story, man. Just like a righteous piece of shit. Yeah, and, and he's like talking shit in Valyrian the entire time while being <laughs> translated um, properly by Missandei. Um, yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Which is and, great. Another source of comedy. Like, again, the early season, really funny. Like, really, yeah. really funny. And I love it. Um, we have two more scenes to talk about very quickly, if you don't mind. Uh, let's go back to King's Landing. Let's talk about Tyrion, uh, Podrick, Roz, and Littlefinger. Uh, essentially, the transition of power, if you will. What I like about this is, like, even though Littlefinger and Tyrion are having their own scene, Podrick just keeps looking at like Roz's cleavage and it's just like, Oh shit. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Fair. And she's playing with him too. Kind of. She's like right. giving him the eyes and shit. It's this really adorable scene because we realize that Podrick is like young and like, yeah. and, and pure and just a good person. Like, he's just a boy. He hasn't been corrupted yet. And again, yeah. like the idea of paying his debt, Tyrion gets him a, bunch of whores right he's like this is for saving my life on me have fun kid (laughs) well and this brings me to kind of the biggest laugh of the whole episode which is like okay then we jump cut Podrick has now had his fun. He's come back to wherever Tyrion and Bronn are. And he like puts all of the money back on the desk. And Tyrion's like, no, Podrick, this was for you to go like fuck your brains out. Like have fun. And he's like, no, I I did. I did all of that. And they're saying that he was so good (laughs) that they didn't require payment. Details. (laughs) Details, Podrick. It's like, I don't know why that cracks me up so much, but it's just the fact that Tyrion and Bronn are like, (laughs) sit down, motherfucker, because you're a stud, apparently. It's amazing. We Uh, have to know what the fuck happened in there. Fucking Um, love that. Yeah, not a necessary scene, but a funny one. Um, Which brings us to the very end, which is uh, Jamie and Brienne. Brienne, again, we talked about, like, hey, rape is a very real thing. He's kind of taken away. She's like, we're supposed to bring the Kingslayer back alive. No one cares about you. And they're pulling her away. And again, maybe this is problematic. And I, and I, and I want to be able to address this as like two males reviewing a show where women are usually fucked with. Okay. The scene is she's being dragged away and the most horrific screams, man. Mm-hmm. She's like screaming and screaming because we know what's in store for her, but we don't see her. We stay with Jamie and it's about how Jamie 
is affected by that scene, which makes me a little uncomfortable, but I guess I get it from the, the narrative standpoint where like, well, Jamie then talks them out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is like, you know, you know, she's from the Sapphire Isle. You know why they call it that? Because they make all the Sapphires in the world, man. They're very rich. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. Which as we know in a later episode is not the yeah. case. It's not called right. that because they have Sapphires. It's because the water's, the water's green. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a whole fucking thing. And it's like, it's a really great scene. And Jamie feels like, ah, you know, I've been down for a while, but I bested you on this one. I lied my way to get someone free. And does he get to bask in this fucking win? Well, yeah, yeah. The guy, the guy ties him. He puts his like hand around his shoulder. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, keep talking to me. Keep talking. And like, <laughs> he's like, hey, how, how about you have a meal? You know, you have a fucking meal on me, dude. Like, I'm sorry mm-hmm. we've treated you this way. And then fucking cuts Jamie's fucking hand off. Okay. Also, let's just very quickly talk about this. This is the first time Game of Thrones hasn't given me some like orchestra or like some children orphan singing. It said it's like a really upbeat rock song in the credits, yeah. and I'm just like, what the fuck? I have right. no idea what's well, going there's, on. There's a great delay where Jamie's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right because it's like four seconds before he acknowledges that his hand has been yeah. cut off. And, and I believe it is in this episode. Um, before we finish up here, uh, we should acknowledge that Danny strikes a deal with Krasnus to get all 8,000 of the Unsullied in exchange for one of her dragons. Um, I don't think we really talked about that, but I think it is in this episode, right? Right. Um, yeah, I think yeah. you're right. But either yeah, way, it's and, an important and, and both, uh, Yeah, and both Barrison and Jorah are like, no, don't do that. And she's like, uh, yeah, I appreciate your advice, but I'm going to do what I want. Offers him her biggest dragon in exchange for all 8,000 of the Unsullied plus right. Missande uh, as a, you know, a token of like a, a bargain well struck. And right. Krasnus is like, all right, that's cool. Let's do it. Yeah, man. Um, and that kind of brings us to episode four. And now his watch has ended. This is one of the, I don't want to say one of the few times because that's certainly not true. I feel like every episode title is very deliberate and it kind of gives you an idea of what you're going to see. But this is one of those times, as soon as the episode ended, you kind of understood precisely why that was chosen as the title. Um, And now his watch has ended. So before we get into why, let's just jump sequentially into what happened, which is, listen, Jamie lost that hand at the the end of the last episode, and we start with that fucking hand again, only this time worn around his neck as a fucked up trophy of of the accomplishments mm-hmm. of the brutality of the Bolton clan. You know what I mean? And he's just yeah. straight up wearing it around his neck and he seems pretty dejected. He, I believe he falls off his horse. It's not, it's not great. Jamie's at a low point, <laughs> certainly. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, this is uh, definitely Jamie at his lowest. He's dirty. He's, you know, probably like just fucking in it, soaking in his own filth at this point. He doesn't have a hand. He's a master <laughs> swordsman without his dominant hand. Um, he's yeah. He's, well, we see that because he falls off his horse and then he tries to fight with everybody. And uh, it does not go well. I think he knows immediately. Like, that's the thing. They took his sword fighting hand, which he says in a conversation with Brienne later on. You know what I mean? But it's just like he the thing that he's prided himself on his ability to fight. Right. His training is now gone. Swing of a yeah. sword. That happens a lot in this. You know, the swing of a weapon and suddenly everything is different. It's changed. It, it, it can't go back to what it was. It's severed. And um, that happens here, obviously, quite literally <laughs> with his hand um, yeah. and his ties to his old life. But it happens again later on with different characters, and we'll get to it. Um, but it's a great scene. Uh, let's jump to Tyrion and Varys very quickly. Now, this is a scene that was teased a little bit in season two, right before the right. Battle of the Blackwater. He's, he's like, like, did I ever tell you how I was cut? And uh, Tyrion's like, no. 
I will. Like, oh, <laughs> after the battle is over, I'll tell you if we fucking live through this. And he's like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised he doesn't have that same attitude, but it's, I guess he kind of does. He's like, oh, I could tell you if you want to know. And I guess Tyrion's like, all right fine yeah. <laughs> tell me he's like do you want to know and he's like i don't know do i right. <laughs> well it's a great story and again this is why i like it uh the idea of the world slowly closing in the world is getting ever bigger ever expansive mm-hmm. characters are growing much larger in terms of the sheer number of them but the world is closing in in some small ways uh we hear that familiar music that we we would come to associate with the Melisandre, with the Red Lady, with the Lord of Light, with all of that right. stuff. When Eastern mysticism in general, like the right. idea of East, the Eastern magic. When he's telling the story and he tells about how a warlock once came into town and blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, you know, the story is fucking horrific. <laughs> like, pretty, right. you know, expectantly. Basically, I think it was a follower of the Lord of Light um, cut off his, you know, private parts and threw him into a fire for blood magic. Um, and but the fucked up thing is Varys heard the voice back. He heard right. the warlock do something, and he heard, he heard a it whispered to the flames, and he heard a, a response from the flames. And he said, "Ever since then, I have hated magic and all those who practice it." And then opens up his this crate. And right. this is in the meantime, uh, Tyrion is trying to find out. Like he's pretty much coming to to Varys direct, and yeah. he's saying, "Like, look, I don't have." you know spies like you do I yeah didn't, i need I didn't to inherit yeah i i didn't inherit all of fucking little fingers you know network of spies so i'm depending on people like you like he's put, he's throwing himself out there like he can't fully trust varus yet like varus hasn't proven that to him but he doesn't right. have an option and he's basically like yeah like uh i feel like my sister and he's like tried to have you killed he's <laughs> like uh yeah <laughs> and then varus opens up this crate uh to reveal the same sorcerer um, and tells this story of like how he rose to power basically as a, as a boy like he he learned to be a thief and then he very quickly realized that the contents of a man's letters were worth more than the contents of a man's purse yeah um, amazing line influence grows like a weed yeah. and i, and I my, the tendrils of my influence stretched far into the east and wrapped around the same man who stole my manhood basically and i mean the 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 main point is like you want your revenge you can get it you have to be willing to do things that you don't think you're willing to do and you have to be patient and that's the point that 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 you know yeah this is all these years like 30 years later whatever it is yeah varus is such a fucking badass dude like he really is is. he's not a warrior he's a fucking bald dickless or ballless fucking guy like he's just he's incredible man because he knows how to play the game yeah he's willing to lay in wait and get his revenge when the time is right absolutely man um, and, that, and that's what and like this is one of those moments i talked about conleth hill being able to be funny in one moment dryly funny and chilling in the next and this right. is like a chilling moment you're like this guy is capable of of some shit yeah because up until this point it's a really good point up until this point you hadn't really seen him do anything violent uh, do anything that would really hurt anybody else he was conniving his information mm-hmm. certainly would hurt people but you hadn't right. seen him do anything and this is yeah. the first time where you're like oh no he has it in him he chooses yeah. not to do it and right? with the same tone of voice that he would like greet his barber he says hello old friend to the man <laughs> who fucking like mutilated him um <laughs> to the guy he's kept an appointment with every two weeks since 72 <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's so what true. Be this time, Varys. So casual. Like, I'm bald. What do you want from me? I just like to talk to you. <laughs> oh my god, so fucking perfect. I love it so much. Uh, let's jump to to Beyond the Wall again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at Craster's, and again, the descent is building. 
You already yeah. see some people being really shitty about a lot of things. Um, because they're kind of holed up there and Crasser isn't, ex- he's taking them in, but he's not treating them that well. You know, like he's giving them fucking stale bread, bread. sawdust in it. <laughs> um, he's making nothing, them sleep in a barn. Nothing good enough to sustain a bunch of men specifically. Yeah. They've already been malnourished from being, you know, in the they, wilderness. Yeah, they've been in the cold and they've lost uh, some people and they've encountered some terrible things and right. they're stressed. And this is an army, again, full of... Uh, degenerates well not full of them but like it's it's not a great mix of people they're rapists alongside thieves alongside you know people who volunteered to be there that's a lesson that you have to be reminded of as yeah. we get to the end of this episode. like yeah you can talk about the night's watch like it's this noble institution and it is but it's not necessarily comprised of noble men right um, absolutely yeah. and the best bet is to hope that these people can be transformed Right. And we get that with those two, the two guys who are with uh, Sam. And again, I'm bad at names, but uh, you know, like those guys who went back and said, get up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, those dudes kind of exemplify that where they were different people, they were assholes. And then somehow they transitioned. They became these honorable people. They looked at Lord Mormon as a father figure. And it shows that like, yeah, people who do go here, it doesn't matter why they came. Sometimes they can transform, but again, let's not kid ourselves about the people who are coming here and the reasons why, and that's a really important thing. Um, same scene, Gilly asks Sam for help, essentially, because she's like, Have you, <laughs> the baby boy has been born, no one's real happy about it, least of all her. Uh, have you given it a name? Why would I do that, Sam? <laughs> like, just getting right. really shitty, because again, that's one of those things that's weird. I was thinking about this just from a psych- psychological and sociological perspective. It's like, if I name a pencil, and then I break that pencil, a part of you is sad because I assigned an identity to a pencil, an inanimate object. You know what I mean? Like it's cool, fucked up. Cool, and it makes a community sense. Uh, well, on me. Is that what it is? Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Like yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, in yeah. general, it's like, but I, I could replace anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's no, just no. the idea that like, once you name something, you've given it some kind of personality, you've given it a personification. And like these women, have been conditioned to like, we can't name this thing because if we name it, like the already overwhelming traumatic emotional abuse of having to kill my fucking son is, is amplified because I've named it. You know what I mean? And it's this really fucking sad scene, but essentially she asked Sam for help. She's like, you gotta help us get out of here. Like, you know what happens to this kid and Sam doesn't know, but we, the audience know, and it's not a good fate. No, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not great. I mean, it's really fucking terrible. Like, really, kind of puts you in the in the shoes of these these poor put upon women. Because for the most part, aside from Gilly, they're just there. They're putting up with Craster. They don't have lines. They don't have personalities. They're just scared women who are in this terrible situation. Um, and uh, Sam is not equipped to uh talk to or deal with that but he's trying god love him he's trying trying his best she's trying to give his thimble back she's like i don't want your fucking thimble man like i want my (laughs) baby to be safe uh he's so cute and adorable uh let's do some very quick scenes very quickly because they don't have overall implications but i do think they're worth mentioning uh again bran is doing his dream thing you know and he's dreaming of the three-eyed raven um and he kind of realizes that he can't, it's, he can't kill that raven. You know what I mean? He'll never be able to do that because he is, uh, in effect, the raven. That's what's told to him. You know what I mean? Um, so, again, we're, we're starting to go down a very weird path. The first couple seasons of Game of Thrones really kept magic on the fringes. This season, we're starting to kind of dive deeper, much deeper into it. Um, and it's also starting to evade the subconscious of our characters. You know, 
Bran obviously is important. Bran can work. Bran is the three-eyed raven. We don't know that yet, but that's where we're going. It's it's implied, right? Uh, our boy uh, Jojen, right? Jojen Reed was his name. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. He yeah. did it. He says it. He's like, uh, you you're the raven. You're not going to be able to kill this thing. You are yourself, you know. And right. We're getting there. It's really interesting that this is starting to become such a show of magic when the beginning of the show tried to be so ridiculously true to like a swords and sandal knight kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, Um, no, this is the season of magic um, for sure. Like it goes pretty all in on it. I think almost every episode has some example of, you know, the fantastical or the, you know, whatever, whereas season one, it was like suggested or implied until the very last shot um season two we get a few moments this one it's like there's giants there's wargs there's you know jan or brand getting these uh prophetic dreams and uh you know uh we can get into beric dondarian a little bit later but there's some shit going on there too um he's prominent in episode five and i promise we will do a deep dive on that but quickly let's jump to uh the scepter right because we have joffrey and marjorie they're kind of Joffrey's going through history. He's giving a history lesson about mm-hmm. you know the Targaryens are buried here and this this and that and you yeah. know Marjorie is doing that thing. She's playing into it. Like I can be yeah. excited, sure, whatever. Like just playing right. it masterfully. Meanwhile, we have uh, round two of uh, Lady Olena making. Yeah, her she, she she really is making the rounds with like every like person that you know you'd want to see her go up against. She goes up against them um and this time well she's not really combative with cersei um, no not she, at all this in is fact, actually really lovely like this is one of the only times where cersei uh it feels like she's meeting not someone people, halfway <laughs> yeah but, but it, it, it kind of feels like they're communicating on the same wavelength well um, i i was really taken by a scene and this is where i said i wanted to uh you know we put a pen in it a couple episodes back because of the prophecy but this is a scene i really love where uh, Lady Olena kind of tells a story about how she, you know, like she she told her son not to fight a real battle, right? Because mm-hmm. they're kind of going back into uh, King Robert's Rebellion and all that shit and the history behind it. But she was very much like, uh, I never wanted him to go into a real battle. But us mothers, we do what we can to protect our sons from death. But yeah, but try as we might to keep them from the grave, they seem determined to exactly. end up there. Which, again, we don't know this yet. But when you go back and you watch this, like we do understand there is a prophecy for Cersei, and I cannot right. wait till we actually get into it because that might be 45 minutes it's of like, conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's literally the key to her entire it, character and understanding exactly. why she does what she does, yeah. It's sort of the inciting incident for her entire existence is mm-hmm. this prophecy. And in that moment, we can't possibly know, but she does such a wonderful job, like that act, Lena Headey. I mean, because yeah. you feel it. You're like, there is a pregnant pause for half a second but we mm-hmm. see it and we identify it and we're like, shit, you know, and it's a really, really great scene. I kind of love it. Um, and then, you know, we cut back to Joffrey and Marjorie and Marjorie again is trying to win hearts and minds and stuff like that. Uh, she makes the mistake of sort of complimenting the Targaryens, but kind of turns it around. And I like this yeah. line. So I want to bring it up. Severity is sometimes the price for greatness, which and- Joffrey likes. You know, yeah. that's the Kanye right. West argument. <laughs> like, we got to be careful about the Kanye West argument in Westeros, yeah. is all I'm saying. But and, yeah, moment, jo- Joffrey continues his psychotic flirtation where he's like, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, <laughs> so excited. And then, and then Marjorie and Joffrey hear um, shouts of the people because they're in the Sept of Baylor, the great Sept of Baylor, which is like this magnificent church. It's the epicenter, it's like Mecca for the you know the light of the seven or whatever 
Um, and uh, she's like, do you, do you want to see the people, my Lord? Like, if you show them love, they will return it to you 10,000 fold or yeah. whatever she says. And he's like, all right, uh, I'm not sure about that. I don't really like them that much, but <laughs> I really want to bang you. So let's try this. And walks out there. She waves. They all fucking freak out. He right. waves and like, oh, King Joffrey. And for the first time in his life, he's getting the love and admiration of the people. He's well, it's sort of like a common sense thing. It's weird yeah. that at no point the Lannisters were like, you know, kindness. They, well, because <laughs> they, well, they don't concern themselves with the opinions of sheep. Of sheep. Right? Yeah, and unfortunately, true. they take that to heart to their detriment, I'd say. Um, and you can see Cersei watching her son slip from her grasp in this exact In real time. Yeah, in it's real really time. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Where like Everyone they're holding hands and waving to the people, and she is uh, one step away from being obsolete. Right. No, it's it's kind of amazing, man, it, and it's all well done. The acting is so on point for everybody that you believe all of it. But yeah, uh, I want quickly. to say real quick, yeah, this oh, yeah. this episode, one of my favorite in the entire show's run. I think it is for me. Really, really wonderful. Specifically, this next scene, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, the next scene is Ramsey, but we don't know it's Ramsey, <laughs> has now saved Theon and is now leading him back to the torture chamber. But again, we don't know that. We think he's leading him to his sister. To you know, Asha, right? to salvation yeah. and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Before we get there, there's this really wonderful scene. And again, you know, I'm obsessed with structure. I'm obsessed with the, the story circle. I'm obsessed with the hero's journey, whatever. You know, again, in, in, in regular shows, much like Tyrion, much like any other story, when we get to the low point, the low point is supposed to be the beginning that the redemptive arc starts. It's when things start to finally look up for our hero. And yeah. we get to this point where now he thinks he's about to be saved and he's being very talkative to his rescuer, uh, Ramsey. And he's talking about, he confesses for the first time that he burned the kids. And Ramsey's like, the Stark boys. And this is the first time he's like, no, not the Stark boys. Yeah. Right? So yeah. now the information is out there that the Starks are, the, the, the Rickon and, and, and Bran are very much alive. Uh, but it, it, it's this unburdening of the soul. Yeah. It's the he's moment. Like, I, I made a choice and it was the I wrong chose wrong. Choice. Yeah, I yes. chose wrong. And he's just like in near tears and just fucking. No, it's a beautiful back. moment. And in yeah. any other story, bro, it's the moment where this guy gets on the fucking horse and does the right thing. <laughs> but it's right. dead. Like, he doesn't even have the opportunity. <sighs> Like, this is the moment I really loved this fucking show, to be honest. Just, in I mean, there were plenty of great moments mm -hmm. before that. Don't get me wrong. But, like, the audacity to give you a moment that you're so familiar with as in, from storytelling, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's incredible that, like, the reveal of, of he goes in there, they go into the chamber where Yara's supposed to be, and instead the X, the fucking same torture chamber that he's ever been Right, he, he lights the torch and he sees it and... Uh... And just starts freaking out and Ramsey's like laughing hysterically. Bro, and, again. And you just you just realize, oh, Theon is the plaything of a psycho. Is it not the coolest fucking like again, he's a psycho. I'm not saying he's not, but I respect him so much. Again, all of this was just to one find out if the Stark boys are still alive because the Boltons up until this moment are still very much on Team Stark. They're fighting for the North and shit. You know what I mean? Right. So it's it's very interesting that you're like, okay, all of this, this giant lie, this deception, was just to get that one piece of information. They got it, and now he's back in the torture chamber, man. Right, back at square one. Yeah, no, like Ramsey at this point, he's like Bugs Bunny meets uh, Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my god, that is the perfect fucking amalgamation of two. And Theon is unfortunately Elmer Fudd. <laughs> 
Oh my God. Always the Elmer Fudd. Theon is, man. Uh, it's, it's a powerful fucking scene. And again, it just, it really upends every expectation you have about how a narrative is supposed to play out. And yeah. it's just, it's amazing. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on that because this is such a jam-packed episode. Let's jump very quickly to Jamie and Brienne. Uh, they have a really uh, see you playing kind of uh, talk here where yeah. she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm dying. He's like, well, you don't die. You stay alive so you can act revenge. And he's like, I don't care about revenge, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love this scene because it really is a spoiled rich kid being cut off by mommy and daddy kind of scene where like yeah. the first time you get fucked over by the world, <laughs> like you're ready to call <laughs> it quits. You realize this is everybody always, right? Like, yeah, it's fucking crazy. Why are you going to give up? And also don't tell me that there's no goodness in you. Right. Because I know you saved me. I know that you lied to them like to get me not to be fucking, you know, assaulted essentially. And again, the slow redemption of Jamie Lannister, it's just this really, it's all earned, man. There's no point where you're like, that wasn't earned, you know? Like, they, they play it so little by little until we get to the big yeah. climactic scene uh, of next episode, and it just changes the game. It's, 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 it's immaculate plotting, man, on a character uh, narrative uh, arc. Yeah, level. no, it's wonderful, and you never really get tired of anyone's story, and even if you aren't feeling a story, like, that's the beauty of the show, especially in this season. I think they handle it so well in terms of pacing. Like, even if you're not feeling the Theon thing, like, you're jumping immediately after that to, like, a Brienne and Jamie's dynamic. And it's like, you almost forget that they're out there. And then you go there and you're like, oh, yeah, this is so enjoyable. Exactly. And and then you jump to Arya and the Brotherhood Without Banners. And it's just like this massive flowing story where all these characters are intersecting. And, like, this is really when that starts happening, when all the characters are scattered to the winds, they start intersecting and interacting and you bring in new characters and there's all this mystery and adventure right this is kind of the season of adventure for me too Um, it's also in a weird way it's the season of tywin because tywin is directly in the shit finally and so his relationship with everyone is kind of coming to the forefront and so the very next scene is uh cersei and him have a conversation where again we were talking about the fact that if cersei was a man she would have taken over the game like no one would be alive (laughs) you know what i mean uh, and she kind of says that plane where she's just like, you know, fucking Jamie can't take land. Did you ever think at any point when you were giving all these lectures about family and honor that maybe I was the only one listening, right. that I was the only one paying attention that would actually continue that legacy that you love so much more than your own children? Again, a low-key feminist. Like, she has her faults, but this woman is the fucking, you know, Susan B. Anthony of Westeros. She's, she's a trailblazer. She just doesn't want any other women to, like, yeah. Well, <laughs> which kind of puts a that's the you know, fault of it, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's flawed feminism. She's against all other women, but right. you know. But I like the scene too because as much as Tywin hates Tyrion, they have one thing in common, which is like the insult to Cersei of like, you're not nearly as smart as I don't mistrust you because you're a woman, I mistrust you because you're not nearly as smart as you think you are, which drives her fucking crazy, you know what yeah. I mean? Which again, infantilizes her diminishes her intelligence uh, but immediately makes her quiver in, in the shadow of her father and it's amazing that tywin always has the fucking pool on his children number one uh yeah. but you know it kind of brings them right back to where they are and it's just like you know, tywin is going to run things the way he sees fit he still thinks of cersei as just a woman doesn't matter mm-hmm. how capable she is and it's a little depressing but it sets up future events and i thought it, it was worth mentioning uh I love this part. A spider in the garden. Again, we're just getting the one-on-ones, man. Spider in the garden. 
It's so good. I mean, like, again, I'm just like, Martin, you're a better writer than anyone gives you credit for. You know what I mean? Like, because Uh, he's he's wonderful, dude. Well, he's a wonderful writer, but my point is this. And I think we always have the bias of being in the present. We never know what's going to be considered literary merit in the decade, in the two decades. Like we always usually have to be like 30, 40 years removed before we can recognize things as amazing. He's also got like the, uh, crippling side effect of like being a fantasy writer and a science fiction writer like he's a genre writer and these aren't really like well and that's not the same as people talking about the human experience and it's like bullshit they're doing he's doing the exact same thing through the comfortable guise of fantasy because that's how you can really digest it that's the point of genre yeah like like even if the prose wasn't uh up to par which it absolutely is is, yeah um even if it wasn't just the level of plotting and detail and world building is I mean, I haven't, I'm not a fantasy expert. Dude, it's astonishing. No, it is. It's incredible. Um, I said it all the time when people try to talk about other, like, you know, we talk about J.K. Rowling and like, yeah, Harry Potter is also an achievement. Don't get me wrong. We're talking tens of thousands of years of history and lore. Um, uh, Yeah, I I recently picked up and check out, again, I've said it before, but a wiki of Ice and Fire. Like, if you really want to do a deep dive on like the the mythology here and everything, like just type in a house and he has entire fake histories for random houses <laughs> like you can read back on the lineage of the reeds you know um right. or house umber or whatever the fuck like things that don't matter he's still plotted that shit out i think it's great no um, it, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's an achievement for sure man and uh this bring again but again let's just talk about elena making the fucking rounds yeah, she's yeah, killing spider it. in the garden yeah. uh well i really like it because again one she's just killing it like what happens when the non-existent bumps up against the decrepit <laughs> like immediately going after like i know you have no balls and no dick right but like <laughs> i love that she like catches Varus off guard too like he doesn't really know what to do with her usually he does um well i'll tell you what i like about it even though yeah he does give up a little bit easily like she's toying with him like a cat and a mouse sort of situation what i like about it again is that and i said this earlier roz says don't trust littlefinger in that meeting with shay earlier in the season Varys says straight up you know like i know him better than most and when i tell you that he is the one of the most dangerous men in westeros understand that like that this man would burn it all to the ground so he could be the king of the ashes king of the ashes another fucking amazing line martin go fuck yourself like no one should have this many good lines and he does it every fucking scene basically and this thing first three seasons are pretty much like straight up 90 percent adaptations right but there's a couple deviations and shit like that but they stay pretty true to what's going on on the page dialogue wise and so it's just yeah. like this dude's next and, level. Yeah, yeah, and most of season four, well, yeah, the back back end of it is a little different, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but in, in any case, it's a good scene. And so what we kind of realize is that you know they're plotting something. You know, he wants to make sure that Littlefinger isn't going to be able to make his advantageous play, uh, because again, Varys above all, loyal to the realm, just wants to make sure that nothing's getting fucked up in that regard. You know. And so he sees Littlefinger for what he is, which is this true threat to the tranquility of the, of the realm, and he's got to stop that. So what they do is they kind of make a plot. You know, The, the whole conversation is essentially about Sansa Stark and what to, what's to be done about her. They, yeah. they, you know, and you don't have to be a clever man to figure out what needs to be done. It's rather obvious, is it not, says uh, Olena Tyrell. And so uh, 
you know, we kind of get to that, that the next scene directly leads into that, which is Sansa and Marjorie have a moment. Sansa's praying and then yeah. Marjorie shows up. She's like, I so desperately want us to be friends. And yeah. you know, they so have this like, I'd like that. And uh, right. yeah, yeah. I, I really got to say on this rewatch, I'm really liking Sansa way more than I ever have, or at least like uh, in terms of like the sympathy that I have for her character, right. like what she's had to go through. Cause again, reading the books, it was always kind of a drag when you got to her parts. Cause like you'd go from like Brienne and Jamie and like, you know, fucking even Rob Stark and, you know, all that. And then you go to Sansa and she's just talking about, like, how depressed she is and how King's Landing sucks. You're like, whatever. But rewatching this now, like, you really do realize, like, she's she's a child who's been put into this position. She has no friends. And this is the first time that someone's like, hey, I want to be your friend. And, like, she just immediately jumps on. She's like, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. absolutely. And she's like, you should check out Highgarden. I would love to take you there. Like, it, it's an amazing place. Well, it's she's awesome. on board before the whole point, which is, like, yeah. the whole point is that Marjorie has her best interest at heart, you know? Yeah. Kind of. She's like, hey, marry, the, marry Loras. And, again, it's not completely altruistic. Like, Loras right. marrying Sansa is Sansa's the key to the North, especially if Robb Stark is defeated. That's right. going to be the big thing. So yeah, no. So Sansa's a chess piece in all of this, but sure. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that like they're not going to take care of her. You know what I mean? Like I trust her with the Tyrells in a way I do not trust her with the Lannisters. And so, well, it, no. Oh man, let's hear it. I mean, it, it's debatable. A little bit. A little bit. Uh, for reasons we'll get into in season four. All right, good man, good man. You said you you let them wanting more, and that's half the battle. So, but um, in terms of like right now, uh, it seems like yeah, like Marjorie's watching out for her. She's saying, hey, like when I'm queen, like Cersei is the queen regent. I'm about to be the queen. Uh, right. I would love for you to be my sister. Um, not exactly great for Sansa, uh, because you know Loras is gay, but it's better than uh, you know, being married to Joffrey. Who's gonna abuse her? I'm sure she'd take a gay Loras every fucking day over Joffrey, man. Yeah. Like, at least Loras ain't a fucking sadist. At least uh, he's not gonna fucking get enjoyment out of her pain, you know? Exactly. Well, it's definitely a step up. Um, so I think, I mean, that's mostly a positive scene. It's one of the few times that we see her actually happy. I mean, Sansa's been off, has been yeah. pretty fucked up since. And it, and it really is like touching to see that, you know, like Marjorie gives her this olive branch and she just immediately latches. Oh, a on moment to of hope, man. It's yeah. a big deal. Um, I wish that we could stay on that optimistic note, but instead we go back beyond the wall and the descent is kind of reaching a breaking point, right? People are starving. And now his watch has ended, right? They bury one of their own, which mm. died of a broken foot, but he didn't really die of a broken foot. He died because he starved to death. You know what I mean? He was weak, right. he food and shit like that. Craster's not feeding them well. And Sam's trying to come to the fence. He's got daughters to feed. And he's just like, yeah, but us <laughs> like you know <laughs> the bad fucking people jorah or uh, lord mormont's trying to keep the you know the the troops happy but it's not necessarily working and we finally reach a breaking point where someone calls craster a bastard and it, apparently that bothers him a little bit so he gets up and he's just like the next person who calls me a bastard <laughs> like he threatens him he's like i'm gonna yeah. fucking kill you blah 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 and again that one motherfucker who i swear is from liverpool i know nothing about english accents but that motherfucker's from liverpool he sounds like ringo star he's just like you're a bastard a bastard daughter fucking bat you know what i mean like mm -hmm. goes fucking hard on him and all of a sudden we have this fucking it's fucked up man like craster comes after him this dude fucking stabs him through the neck like lord Vormont yeah. tries to do something about it pulls his sword says i'll have your head and he's stabbed he's fucking so oh, god damn it yeah man. this is such guy. a shitty scene because like uh, uh, uh i think his name's rast 
um, is getting like choked out by Lord Commander Mormont, and then Mormont spits up blood. Like right. in, in spite of his injuries, he's like choking out Ras, who's been Badass, just the yeah. biggest piece of shit this entire time. He's picking on Sam, telling him you should die, you should just lay down in the snow so we can eat you later. Um, and now like he's getting fucking choked out by Mormont. Mormont spits up blood and has to sit down for a second. And Rast immediately takes this opportunity, being the coward that he is, to just stab him repeatedly. That's the end of Lord Commander Mormont, pretty much. Right. And uh, yeah, Craster's Keep has been overrun by mutineers. It's fucked up, man. Sam immediately runs to Gilly. He's like, "We gotta get yeah. the fuck out of here." And like, <laughs> it's a bad situation. And again, we see we see a couple of the other knights watch the loyalist, if you will. Like, they're like immediately trying to fight back, and it's just really fucked up, man. It's a really yeah. sad scene. And again, it's it, it's something that comes back in way later seasons. This moment uh, gets revealed, and I think season five, season six, something like that. But it's a very beautiful moment when it kind of comes back up and you're reminded instantly of how honorable this this man was um, yeah. and how he was kind of killed for it. Again, don't be honorable in this world because there's none of that left. No. Um, very quickly, let's jump to two more scenes. We have uh, Beric Dondarrion, fan favorite, by the way, kind of killing it, shows up. He's he, got a really cool voice. He's got a great voice. Everybody in this show has a cool voice man what are you talking about (laughs) everyone has the best voice ever i wish like i hear my voice talking now and i want to punch myself in the throat because i'm not sounding like any of these cool fucking people in the show but um bear dundaria shows up we get this whole moment where you know you kind of get uh more of an exposition about who the brotherhood without banners are you know stark deserters lannister deserters you know like you people are, are say you're fighting a war but you're running from it you know they're trying to judge uh, the hound, and they're tra- and they're trying to lay all these murders at his feet, and he's trying to hide behind a weird, fucked up sense of morality, where he's right. just like, "I wasn't there," you know. And when I killed the butcher's boy, I was. I mean, it's not my place to question a prince. Well, and, and again, he's also pulling the card of like, "Yeah, I'm a killer. So what? So are you? Right. Every like, man in this room." Don't call me is a, a murderer and pretend that you're not the same. Yeah. is the line, mm-hmm. which is a fucking great line, and again, right. it doesn't really do anything, and so. We are set up at the end of this episode with this this fight. Beric Dondarrion and the Hound are going to have a showdown because Arya, which we yeah, Arya watching, which watching on, and she's the one who accuses him of murdering the Butcher's Boy because, like, up until then they're talking about like how he's just generally a murderer. She's like, "You killed a an innocent child. Um, yeah. That's murder." And he's like, "Okay, like, uh, we're- <laughs> no matter how you fucking do it." And again, I think Beric Dondarrion's like, "Well, we can't prove it, so let's just fight." <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, they we're try gonna to have a trial by combat and let you know our god decide. And we should make it clear: uh, the, these guys follow the Lord of Light. They exactly. follow Rolor. The yeah. folding of the world, man. Like the mm-hmm. fact that we are now starting to see the mysticism of the East in the mainland. You know what I mean? Right. Um, in a way that is definitely for fucking more revealing and makes you feel like the world is somehow smaller. The Game of Thrones felt so big for a long time. This is the first time that you see that maybe it is infinite. It's, it's finite. You know what I mean? Like there is an end to this stuff and we start to see the world kind of fit together in a way that maybe we didn't before. From there, we cut to the East very quickly. This is how we end the episode, which again, Danny has struck a deal. She's going to give one of her dragons, much to the chagrin of both Barristan and Jorah, uh, yeah. to, to get the 8,000 on the Cole Khaleesi. Yeah. Cool. If you question me again, <laughs> like you can <laughs> fucking go. I mean, like she ain't playing that descent shit. But again, it's one of the first times, and and maybe this this is the note that I wrote again, where I told you, oh, this is the first time where I felt something. You know, the whole plan is like she gives the dragon away, seemingly she gets the the wand, as it were, right, to control right. the the unsullied. She's now fully in control. Her first order of business 
kill as many people as she can, but only the people who deserve well, it. Well, it's, it's, do, it's done wonderfully because up until now, we don't know that she's, spe- or at least Krasnus doesn't know that she speaks Valyrian and he's been right. insulting her this entire time, calling her a bitch and a horror and all these are horrible things. Right. Um, so now she, she trades the whip that commands the Unsullied for the chain um, that holds her dragon and gives the dragon to Krasnus and he's immediately just like trying to fucking wrangle this crazy beast and yeah. she's speaking in Valyrian to the Unsullied, and she's like, Unsullied, march forward! Kill the masters, uh, man! Kill the masters! Any any person who isn't a child that holds a whip, kill them. Right. And Free the um, slaves, you know what I mean? Free like, the slaves. Having um, her revolutionary fucking moment, dude. It's amazing. Right. And it's the first time. Listen, I, like, I'm on board with that, obviously, but then the fucking guy is like, tell that bitch her dragon won't come down. It's just like... Mm. Jakaris and like fucking lights him on fire. Yeah. Dude, it's the first time that I am on hype about yeah. the mother of dragons. Dude. And we also get the dragon breathing theme. I don't even know what that sound is, but it's like right. and then fire dude. lights him on fire. Um, we also get that nice moment where he realizes she speaks for Valyrian and she's like, Yeah, Valyrian's my mother tongue. I'm a Targaryen. I'm a fucking Targaryen. Fuck. Yeah. Which again, like for world building purposes, I know I've said it before, but the Targaryens were the one family to escape Valyria before the doom of Valyria, before this right. catastrophic event. Um, so like they're the only remnants left of the people who mastered the art of controlling dragons and Valyrian steel and all that. Yeah, uh, dude. Yeah. It's a big moment. It really is the moment where finally I'm like, okay, I feel like we wasted two and a half seasons to get to this moment. Like to mm-hmm. to get to the, the moment where the mother of dragons that was promised, right? Yeah. <laughs> it finally comes into focus because with an army, even though it's only 8,000, man, with that army and with some dragons, suddenly this is a whole new fucking game. It, it, right. Really, really exciting. So uh, I'm excited, man. Yeah. I think. No, I, yeah. In in one stroke, she has um, not only kept all three dragons, but she has an army at her back. She has something right. to back up her word. Now she's a threat. She's a player. She's in the game. Like in this episode, we end with Danny finally in the game, and we're like, finally oh, again. Yeah. Her stories have been so separate from the rest of this, and finally we understand why and how she's going to be a player. And uh, which again is what's so impressive about the show because we spent another couple years not having her be in the game, but at least be like game adjacent, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, And I believe from there we push on to episode five entitled Kiss Kiss by Fire. Fire. Episode begins, dude, and we're 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 kind of right back. Like you know, this season has really done a thing about whatever the episode ended on. We'll kind of pick right back up. You know, we'll feed you baby birds waiting so desperately to be fed. And uh, this is a situation that you're welcome. (laughs) Uh, But they do a prayer for the Lord of light. And then what we realize is that they're going to, uh, they're going to have a fight, man. They're going to have a fight. Like uh, Beric Tondarian is going to, is going to fight the hound because they're going to, you know, stand for trial uh, for the, for the death of that kid and blah, 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 blah. Um, The reason I'm bringing all this up is a couple things, just acting wise. The minute that that sword gets lit up, the look of fear on the hound's face is yeah. everything. It is like why I watch this show. Mm-hmm. For that one scene, for that half a second where he is scared shitless, you know what I mean? Like Because mm-hmm. suddenly he's a child again. In the same way we saw him in the Blackwater. And it's just a, doing an amazing job with this character little by little. Uh, an amazing fight you know, uh, ensues. Everything is amazing. The thing I took away from this the most was Arya. There's a point where Arya's like, kill him! Like, almost feral, man. Like, 
just yeah. wants this bloodlust. And it's kind of the first time you've really seen that. I know she's made her list, but this is the first time that anyone on that list has come close to dying. And it's like kind of a big deal. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's, uh, it's a really exciting and well shot moment. And it was a really cool moment in the books too. Um, but I was really, really happy with like how they presented it in show. Uh, and just, just again, like the air of, uh, the tone, the air of mystery and adventure, especially with Brotherhood Without Banners, because they're on this like great kind of Pirates of the Caribbean looking cave set, um, (laughs) you know, with the fire and everything. And you see like Arya for once, like she's able to like relax and sit on the sidelines and like hopefully watch justice be done. And it looks like the Hound is about to like fucking lose, um, it's a great scene, like yeah. especially choreographed fight scenes, which you've seen a couple of those. But like, this was just a really great scene where every every swing of the sword, I was like, ah, yeah. <laughs> like, what's going And, and then finally, uh, the hound like prevails and kills Beric Dondarrion, like fucking slices his sword like well into him, and you're right. like, okay, shit. And like the hound is still on fire, so he's rolling around. And I sent you this screen cap because it made me laugh so fucking hard. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> The hound is so fucking happy. Like this is the happiest the hound has ever been. Right. He's like, <laughs> I guess you won't see any justice for your butcher's boy. And he's like, laughing I guess the gods like me more. Than oh, like than your butcher's, butcher's boy. boy. <laughs> and he's smiling. And immediately, this is undercut because we should say that Thoris of Mir runs over to Beric Dondarrion and starts like whispering, like, "Oh, Lord of Light, please save my blah 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 blah." And Beric like sits up. He's yeah, like, Arya's like, go to hell! And then Beric's like, he will, but not today. And yeah. like, I was like, I just sliced you in fucking half, dude. Right. What the fuck is There's going on? no way he survived that. Uh, and the truth is, he didn't. He just came back from the fucking dead. Um, so there's yeah, that dude. magic happening now, too. It's pretty amazing. Uh, from there, let's jump beyond the wall very quickly. Uh, Mance is... Que- everyone's questioning, John. Basically, how many men... At, at Castle Black, you know what it's I mean? Like, uh, I have a thousand. They're like bullshit. How many wow. castles are manned? The Garrus like, uh, seems to think it's bullshit for sure. Yeah. And I think Tormund even has this great line: "He's like, I like you, boy, <laughs> but if you lied to me, I'll you know, guts out. <laughs> oh, yeah. so good. I like I, again. Tormund's so good. How many fan favorites do we get in just this season? He's amazing. Um, yeah. But but he really tries to lean into it. Uh, and, and and people are mistrustful of Egret too, and a, a little bit. Like Gareth is just like, well, just because you want him inside of you doesn't mean, doesn't mean yeah. I trust him. He ain't one of us. And she uh, she's hardcore defending him, right? Yeah, like in a, in a like, way that's beyond any lie. reason. Yeah. Well, and, uh, well, he did he did kill Corn Halfhand, man. Like, that's yeah. a big deal. So we should give credit where credits due. Immediately after that, she like leads him into this fucking. She like lights the sword on fire, like takes it away. He's chasing her around. They like, get to some fucking cave or whatever. She strips naked. And she's like, "You want to prove you're not a crow? Here's something. Give up that fucking vow of celibacy." I mean, she says it without saying all of that, but she gets naked. She seduces Jon Snow. Jon Snow breaks his vow. Yeah. Um, which, and now Jon Snow is in some uh, murky territory here. He's killed. Right, because again, him. up until this point, there's no part of him that has turned. Like, even though he might yeah. be seduced by Mance or whatever, he's still on the mission. Like, we got to kill Mance when we can. Like, we need to right. lie. But, but, but he doesn't, like, no training prepared him for this. So, like, he's flying by the seat of his pants and just trying to survive. But right. now 
he's officially broken his vows in an irreversible way. And she also makes fun of him a lot. Like, you were a maid. And he's just like, (laughs) fuck off. I took a vow. Like, doesn't matter. But it's it's like oddly sweet, man. You understand that John really fucking cares about her. And I think she obviously really cares about John. It's a sweet moment, you know, overall. Yeah, it's just like this really nice little pure, pretty uncomplicated for the most part romance and we get on yeah. the show and it's like it's nice that a character gets to have something nice for a second you know because yeah. it doesn't uh, happen often let's jump very quickly to Roose Bolton Roose Bolton is basically a shithead uh, Jamie has now been captured and brought to uh, where you know the Boltons proper and uh, he, he kind of fucks with him for a second he's like I don't know how to tell you this but your sister Cersei <laughs> yeah. for a second St- puts the fear siege to King's Landing and your sister Cersei how do I put this uh, she's alive and well, and everything's fine. <laughs> and what Jamie just like pretty man. much collapses. Yeah, I mean, He's again, like, uh, like why am I Sir rooting Jamie. for this? I feel like I'm an asshole for rooting for, but I get it. Like he loves her for better or for worse, you know. Which it, it's just it's gross. He can't, but he good can't for control him. who he loves. Jeez, no one can, and that's the point, you know. Like, and so anyway, like he gets over it. Everything's fine but again it's like uh it's kind of fucked up it's also the first appearance of that uh disgraced meister i forget his name but they you know the city what's his name kyburn kyburn all right cool this guy becomes way important later on so again just another addition to these characters who will end up being very instrumental to later yeah, seasons we later find out is like the fucking dr frankenstein of westeros um <laughs> is of course hanging out with the boltons uh like where where else else would he be be? who else would have him uh yeah it's it's a good scene but again it's more important because it introduces this guy who will be instrumental later on into the the show um from there let's jump to littlefinger and cersei they have a moment it's very brief but uh cersei is basically like look into the tyrells because as you may well know uh, the Lannisters are very kind to people who help the family and almost equal, uh, as mean as they would be kind to people who don't help the family, you know? And essentially what they're trying to do is trying to figure out, you know, this plot. Like, she doesn't trust the Tyrells. She feels that Marjorie has her hooks inside Joffrey and she, she's trying to do her best to get some information to to help the Lannisters out, to alleviate this yeah. fucking problem that she thinks is so dire and Littlefinger is playing the game so he's going to serve whoever he has to serve at the moment mm-hmm. that's the thing about him he's like I admire him he's a piece of shit but he is so good at all of this Littlefinger yeah dude like he just like any like a weaker like a less a less smart a less intelligent Littlefinger gets killed season one okay like he can't remember all the lies he's told but this motherfucker is so smart and we glossed over this earlier, but Varys kind of went to Roz to get him, get her to work in his employ against Little. No, we 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 went into that. I think maybe eh, we didn't. Maybe I think very season, briefly. That was season two, yeah. But you know, he's like, yeah, why don't? You well, it happens again me? in this season. She kind of comes oh. up and she talks to Varys, and we glossed over okay. that. But it's yeah, it's yeah. it's like a reason I'm bringing it up because they did they set it up in season two, but we see it a little bit more. So again, it's just like the fact that this guy is so fucking good at the game. It kind of kills me, man. Uh, the next scene, and again, this is what. This this will bring my point finally to uh, its 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 point, which is um, the next scene is Tyrion and Elena, right? Elena again making her rounds, talking to everybody, and Tyrion's right. main intention is to talk about like we about to have a royal wedding. This is gonna be really expensive. Yeah. How do you propose we pay for that? <laughs> like trying to do a verbal sparring thing, and he just isn't up to it. He is so 
kind of dejected and broken by by not being yeah. appreciated, not being undervalued, all he's this other defeated. shit. He's in a position that isn't suited to him, and uh, Olena is disappointed, and she straight up says, "Like I heard, you have a reputation for being like a whoring, drunken buffoon." And you're really disappointing me right now. Right. Yeah. Well, it's just sad is that she didn't hear that he was a drunken, whoring buffoon who was also smarter than most. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I think a part of her, and she didn't say it, but I think she knows. Well, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. She's saying it in like of... a in a shitty way, but she likes a good challenge. Like you can tell that she she pretty much is bored most of the time because she's dealing with and talking to people that are way dumber than she is. So right. she she loves a good uh, sparring match. She does not get it this time, but at the end, she does agree to pay for half of the royal wedding, and so that makes right. her make makes Tyrion very happy. Like success, first day on the job, <laughs> saved hundreds right. of thousands of dollars. Uh, so you know, seemingly uh, an okay thing, even though again, I love that she also insults Podrick here because <laughs> he like comes in with like some prunes or something. She's you like, "Where did you go to, fucking Volantis?" <laughs> Well, then he tries to talk, and she's like, don't talk. I don't need to hear you speak. <laughs> like, right. Amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, she's killing it. She really is, like, probably the best addition to this. Very quickly, we get a sweet scene with, uh, with, with uh, Gendry and Arya, where Gendry's basically decided to stay. He's going to be a smith for the Brotherhood without banners, and he's just like, listen, yeah, maybe they're leaders, they chose on. him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, which is a big deal. Uh, and then he's like, I've never had a family. I've never had any of that. And Arya's like, I could be your family. Very sweet, very sweet. Yeah. Comes oh. back with like, you wouldn't be my family, you would be my lady. Which I'm like, oh, that's sweet. But then I'm trying to remember how old he is in the story. Because he could be like 15 or 16, I guess. But he seems much older, you know what I mean? Um, hey, I want to say he's like 15 or 16 in the books. So it's not he's that creepy? Okay. It's not yeah. that creepy that well, he's like... he. I don't think it, I didn't take it as like a romantic thing or anything. I think he's just saying like, you know, you would be my like, like there would always be a power disparity here. Like you're okay. Practical That's loyalty. much sweeter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like I can... we wouldn't ever be on the same playing field. We can't okay. Well, that makes it way better. I, 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 did, I, I thought there was like a slight brief glimpse at a romance and I was like, eh, I don't like it, but good. All right. It makes it much better. Uh, let's jump very quickly to Lord Carstock. Right. So, yeah. Ugh, look, this motherfucker's been speaking freely. You know, you lost the war the day you married her. Uh, he lost a lot, lost the casualties. He lost yeah, we, we should also make uh, clear, I don't think we really talked about it, Lord Edmure Tully, the motherfucker who can't shoot arrows, um, basically <laughs> compromised their position with the mountain. Um, when oh yeah, King, dude! King what Rob's. a wonderful scene, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, what, what's the fucking punchline there? Like, I could have had, uh, but instead, like I have. I wanted to draw him out to the west, right? He'd be surrounded, and instead, like, yeah, the mountains uh, on the run. And oh yeah, he's like, I could have killed the mountain. Instead, I have a well or something like that. Like, yeah. It's not uh, so, so, but but the point of the scene is that they capture two minor Lannisters, pretty much like two Lannister cousins, distant relatives. Yeah, yeah at best. <laughs> like, uh, and Edmure's like trying to like say that like, well, like we might not have gotten the mountain, but we got some Lannisters. He's like, who gives a shit? We didn't get the Lannisters. We got some Lannisters. They have our. Um, they have my sister, and you think that cousins are going to change the game? Like, right. no. You know and I mean? now, now they're uh, imprisoned, these two Lannister boys, which we did talk about a little bit. One of them is Joffrey, or not Joffrey, Tommen, I mean. Um, future Tommen, right? And yeah. uh, Martin Lannister plays Tommen when they recast it. Yeah. Anyway. But, yeah, no, sorry. Karstark I mean, uh, <laughs> decides to lead the charge against these fuckers. He's like, he's done. He's fucking done with Rob Stark's, you know, 
bullshit. He's not punishing the mother. He's not punishing Jamie Lannister for killing his own uh, children. He's marrying some foreigner and compromising their war effort. They have half the men that they should have to be going up against the Lannisters. And now he's killing some Lannisters to get revenge. And uh, Which, again, you feel for him. He's lost a bunch. Like I, I won't blame him necessarily, but I do think it's, it, it's bad. And Rob is going to feel the effects of that no matter what. And, again, this is what we talk about when we talk about the schizophrenic idea of honor with mm-hmm. Rob Stark. Uh, everyone is pleading with him. Everyone. His fucking wife, his mom, like everybody is pleading with him that you do not need to kill this guy because without him, we do not have a legitimate shot at the throne anymore. Like the war will be lost. Essentially Ireland and Scotland uh, teaming up and Scotland being (laughs) like, nah, you know what? I'm out. (laughs) Let's kill your King. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not a good look for anybody. And uh, instead of heeding the advice to, of every single advisor he has, he kind of chooses to go against it. And it's not good. It does give me one favorite Rob Stark moment, which is where the guy, (laughs) He's like, I didn't do anything. I just watched. He's like, he just watched. Hang him last so he can watch the others die. And I'm like, all right, you're a cool king, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That is some king's justice if ever there was some. But um, it is still a low point for Rob. Rob is continually making poor decisions and having things taken away from him. Yeah. I mean, but at this point, like, Karstark is challenging him. Like, yeah, you're not going to do anything to me. You haven't done anything to anyone else. Yeah. Like, you're, you're yeah, the king of the me. North, more like the king who lost the North. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, shit talking in a way. And, that and at this point, Rob doesn't really have a lot of options, unfortunately. Um, so he elects, and we can talk about this later or now if you want to. Um, he elects to fucking execute. Yeah, let's just talk about it now. I mean, this is the um, problem. What the swing of a sword, he effectively ends the war. Uh, yeah. Not in his mind, as he has some big revelation, and we'll talk about that in a second. But he decides to carry out that, which is something of honor. We saw Ned Stark do it in the first fucking episode. Yeah. So again, Ned Stark. Has the sentence, he's swinging the sword. He's Absolutely. obviously Ned Stark's son. Um, and Car Stark, before the sword comes down, says, You're no king of mine. And right. It's, it's a big boom, deal. Yeah, lose the Car Starks. Yeah. Um, so, not great. Not great move, Rob, but he didn't have a lot of options at that point, but he did put himself in that position. So, yeah, man. Uh, very quickly, we go back to Arya. Arya's with the Brotherhood Without Banners, and basically they inform her, like, well, you're not like a prisoner, but we need money. So, we're going to take you yeah. to River Run and get a healthy donation for your presence, and uh, we'll give you back to your brother and your mom and she's kind of cool with that but also not because it clearly makes her a prisoner <laughs> and right. she doesn't like that very much um, and also the hound is getting away with it you know well the hound earned it you know he i mean Beric Dondarrion has that conversation with her he's like i yeah. know you must be upset with me but like the lord of light chose for him to live and he'll, he'll get it another day but you know we have to abide by this and then they kind of go into that idea of like how many times he's died five times oh this time makes six you know, mm-hmm. spear through the eye, fucking spear through the heart, uh, stabbed yeah. in the stomach, you know, like shot in the back. Yeah. Like, yeah. uh, he, so this, this homie's died a lot and he just keeps on coming back. Right. And they don't really know why the Lord of light has decided. To I just say the words, the Lord the, of the light brings it back. Yeah. Aside from the shadow baby in the state of, in the shape of, uh, Stannis, this is like serious confirmation that there's something going on with the Lord of light. There's something going on with the, the gods and the mysticism. That's what I love about it. In this world, like there is confirmation of faith. Yeah, like this isn't I, like a trick of the light. This guy's coming back. Like he's coming back to life. Yeah. No, it's um, it's really 
It's really amazing, man. It's a great scene. Um, from there, we cut back to Stannis, and we kind of—it's not the introduction. I believe we had a very, very brief introduction of Stannis's wife in season two, unless I'm mistaken. But yeah, this did. is a different actress. This is like a recast completely, and it's a really it's great. It is, yeah. It's a totally different actress. I looked it up because I was like, "Is this the same person from season two? And it's not. Um, and it's a great see, uh, sequence because we we see that like Stannis's wife is also praying to the Lord of Light that she is mm-hmm. totally on board with Team Melisandre, like that that Melisandre yeah. gave her gave Stannis a son, sort of. You yeah, know she's I mean? totally fine with it, you know, because she's a goddamn zealot at this point and pretty crazy. Stannis doesn't really want much to do with her because she's crazy. Well, there's a couple of interesting things to play here, which is one, she wanted to give Stannis a son, never did. And there's a bit of a Queen Anne thing going on, if we can quote history and the favorite, right? Where Queen Anne took rabbits. This woman has literally just kept her petrified children. And In jars. They, yeah, it's yeah. the equivalent of formaldehyde or whatever. And names them all, you know, really fucking creepy, yeah. sad shit that we'll never sad. understand because we're guys and we can't grow children inside of yeah. us. Yeah, that's said, probably not great for your mental health. You know, to have that just sitting out in the open. At least put well, it in a cupboard. <laughs> like, you break it out when guests come. But like, <laughs> no, it, it's a really great scene because you kind of see where she's emotionally at already. I really like that. Also, it shows the resentment that she has towards her own daughter. Um, yeah. Which is what, Shireen, correct? I, I don't want to fuck that up. Okay, what a fucking lovely character. Uh, and again, uh, I don't want to call yeah. it a fan favorite, but someone that we, we obviously really like and we want the best for. She's a child afflicted with some kind of grayscale that was stopped before it ever spread. Yeah. But, but an embarrassment to her mom. Her mom doesn't like want to recognize her at all. Stannis, for his faults, kind of loves his daughter, man. Yeah, you know? he just and doesn't like, know how to show it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, he does because he brought in every maester every you know medical professional that he could from everywhere called in yeah. every favor and something worked they don't know what did but something yeah, stopped a the cocktail of something it, yeah. it ended up working he has his daughter and even though she's like an embarrassment yeah, you know she's, she's got like a scarred up face but like she's you know she's still a little it's a girl great scene. you also realize she's a bright girl uh yeah. she has the, she has a relationship with sir davos like she yeah, likes davos wonderful a lot. relationship with sir davos he's more of a father to her it's kind of the best part of the back end of this season <laughs> it's yeah. like that entire relationship but uh, you know, um, we get the news that like Sir Davos has been, been put in the cells, or at least she gets the news, and she's not really cool with it. Well, yeah, she she like her face immediately falls. Is like he's a traitor, and like he's gonna mm-hmm. rot in the cells. And then like he stops and looks at her and realizes like this hurts her. Yeah, like, this is this is making my daughter feel bad, and he doesn't know how to like make up for that. Like it's this great little acting grace note um he's great he's like, uh, it's fine don't think about him anymore that guy is the father of the kid on fear the walking dead like the main protagonist who is the best actor in that show by the way and i get it because i'm like oh your dad's a really fucking good actor he does so yeah. much with so little sometimes um but yeah man he he did he, he kind of sells that entire scene because you see that he's like conflicted but he does love his daughter even though conventional wisdom would tell you to like the way tywin should have theoretically hid his shame of, of Tyrion. Um, Stannis kind of has done that, but he actually has affection for her. So I think it's right. a nice little juxtaposition. Um, from there, let's cut to my favorite scene of the entire first half of season three, which is, uh, I, you know, it, it's really a toss up between the Catelyn Stark, Jon Snow scene and this scene, which is Brienne and Jamie take this bath together. And a yeah. couple things. I want to give the credit 
where it's due that this dude is a wonderful actor mm-hmm. beyond the fact that he was able to deliver the lines beyond the fact that he was able to seem like this really frail and gaunt person right because that's the thing his physicality is so skinny and and, and malnourished as well and i'm like yeah. is that makeup or did you just like skip a couple meals that month you know what i mean i'm trying to figure out why you look that skinny but either way it's this is the tremendous uh, commitment to acting and we get this story we get the the full exposition of the kingslayer which is something we've heard pretty much from the beginning of the series we know ned stark resents the fuck out of him but we get the confirmation of how ned stark came to see him and we understand why he did what he did to begin with and what i think is even more sad is that he tells the story but it's the first time he's ever told this story because he knew immediately it didn't matter what story he could possibly conjure up that he was forever branded a disloyal kingslayer, an oathbreaker, and that's forever his legacy. And so, again, in the tradition of great writing and great character development, we realize this truly heinous um, crime that he committed was done for semi-altruistic reasons, right? Like, he wasn't betraying the Mad King to betray the Mad King. In fact, it's something that he carries with him. He knows he broke an oath, but at the same time, how would you feel if the Mad King said, kill your father and bring me his head? And beyond that, burn everyone, burn the peasants, burn the soldiers. He says, like, how would you feel if your beloved Renly told you to kill your father and bring Right, makes it personal. Yeah, and, uh, you know, like, burn all the peasants and everything. yeah no it's really wonderfully delivered um really beautifully shot just like this really nice close-up and then cutting to brienne uh who does a great job too of just reacting to this and seeing him as like this it's really similar i don't want to person i don't want to compare it to another show because the other shows are totally different but you are you caught up a better call saw yeah yeah Okay, the scene where Jimmy gives that big speech to his uh, like r- the, the, the the probation board or whatever, yeah. and he's doing this beautiful emotional speech, and it's all about Kim Wexler. Kim Wexler sells that entire scene because silently, without a word, she has to internalize the words. Like she is our analog, she is our emotional entry point as the audience. And Brienne does the same thing in the scene; doesn't say a word except for one point where she's like, "If this is true, why didn't you tell anyone?" But other than that, it's a completely silent performance where she is right. selling the the severity and the weight of that scene. Um, and it, dude, it, it it's yeah. it's the reason the show exists. It the two people in a room talking. We get we like it when it's a back and forth when it's a battle of wits. But we can get these emotional truths from characters. Yeah, where it just slows down and like actually tells you because this this question of the Kingslayer and his the question of his character because we get a hint of it in season one where King Robert asks him uh, what the Mad King said when he stabbed him in the back, he said, burn them all. And that's all we know about it. Right. Uh, this is like the, the elaboration on that. This is the follow-up. And we finally get confirmation on uh, how complex Jamie is as a person. Because this is still the same man that pushed a little boy out a window and tried to kill him. Right, lest we him forget. <laughs> um, but he's also the man who possibly saved King's Landing and the realm right. in, in one sword stroke at least for a little bit. i wonder if martin is particularly proud of this character like the fact that he was so unlikable like cersei pretty much stays the course that's an achievement in and of itself right. because we understand why she is the way she is but the fact that like we start in episode one he pushes a child to his presumed death yeah by season and, and three, then after that he's like strutting around like he's the fucking like spoiled rich kid like he really is like that you know the trope of like the ski movie where like the bad evil rich kid is like <laughs> all the expensive ski gear and he's right. running around like i'm the best skier i'm gonna shut down your little fucking convention 
Saren, you piece of shit. My dad's richer than yours. Um, but he becomes like this really engaging, thoughtful character. And he has never been lower than he is right here. And uh, the humbling of Jamie Lannister is very important because he takes a, a, a more sober kind of turn after this. Um, yeah, I mean, it really is the great redemption. I also think it's the scene that sort of seals his fate. You know, we're recording this. We're about four weeks away from the new season. Or no, yeah. two weeks, two weeks from the new oh, season. God. Like, we're rapidly approaching it, man. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting thing to talk about where this scene will stack in the great pantheon of Game of Thrones scenes. But specifically, I, you know, if this show ends any other way for his specific character where he doesn't do a certain thing that will lean into his legacy, but at the same time make him honorable all over again, just like the first time. It'll feel like a real, you know, a, a mistrial of justice in Westeros. Like, I don't, like, from the story that they're telling, that is the only way the story can end because it's bittersweet and we now know who Jamie is. Maybe that's right. who he always was. Maybe removed from the pompous and the titles and all that shit, he maybe always would have been this person. Um, it just makes you like him, especially because the Tyrians aren't great. <laughs> but, or right. the Lannisters, and, rather. And I should mention the scene ends in a really wonderful way with him like basically passing out in Brienne's arms and her saying, oh, help yeah. the Kingslayer. And he says, my, my name is Jamie. Jamie. Oh, yeah. So pretty. Yeah, it's and a great scene. And it's really lovely shot. Um, where else do we want to go in this? Well, let's go scene? very quickly. Let's go back east because there's a great scene where Barristan and Jorah are kind of reminiscing about the Great Wars. And they even mentioned the dude from Brotherhood, uh, the Brotherhood Without Banners. Not not uh, Beric Dondarrion, but the other guy. The Thoros yeah. of Mir with his yeah. flaming sword. They talk yeah. about it, the which again, yeah. the collapsing of the world a little bit, you know, where yeah. we start that to all hear these people... characters have history with each other and they fought on opposite sides sometimes. Yeah, but even when they did that, there was still exactly yeah. there was still respect man you could still respect the warrior and i love that well because they all understand that this is a game at the end of the day and like barrison talking about you know serving these different kings and serving bad kings and everything like it doesn't well it, br it brings me to that line of dialogue like for once before i hang it up i would like to serve someone i feel good about someone i believe in do you believe in her sir jorah you know what i mean and yeah. jorah's like with all my heart i do and we even get the further confirmation that, like, uh, no offense, Jorah, but your presence here might be a problem when we get back to Westeros because mm -hmm. you sold some men. Jorah, to his credit, very honorable, won't deny it, straight up admits it. Yeah, I sold people. I deserve to be dishonored. But I believe in, in Daenerys Targaryen. <laughs> Again, his in initial reasons for being in the East with Daenerys Targaryen, maybe not the most altruistic. In fact, not the most altruistic. But in this moment, I truly believe that he is a true believer. And I think that yeah. that's, that's no it's nothing but the best intentions yeah, man. at this point. We also get the intro to Grey Worm uh, because she lets the yeah, unsullied she's like, choose. Uh, choose a leader. And they're like, uh, my name is Grey Worm. What's up? Well, it's a really good scene because Grey Worm immediately kind of gets the waterworks going. Like, choose your own name, not Grey Worm. And he's just like, I like Grey Worm. It's a name of pride because, yes, this is my name when I was taken from my parents when I was enslaved when all this happened. It's but awesome. it was also the name when Dan Daenerys Targaryen set me free. Beautiful yeah. moment. Amazing. And again, and a fan favorite. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, and this is also like one of the first times where it's like, oh, Daenerys is like doing good. Like she's like doing good for 
people. Right. Um, she wears it on her slaves. face too. You know, like mm-hmm. she seems very happy and proud. Like I think she understands the import of what she's doing here. And I think right. this is where she gets a taste for it because basically she becomes the liberator. Like yeah. from this well, point because on, like in, in her own way, she was a, a slave too. She was a child bride. She was, she had no agency whatsoever. And she is now like in a position of power in a position to help people and she's seeing not so much that westeros is the only goal here like she can help people along the way um and that's kind of great so she's liberated the unsullied and they have still chosen to follow her freely because that's a point that is made i think by uh, uh jorah or is it um someone else but um basically saying that like yeah, people followed uh you know your father or whatever jorah like, made that point yeah, yeah. um so like the unsullied love her she has loyal followers not just bought and paid for followers it's a really big moment like i said last episode maybe this is the first time i'm I'm on hype about the mother of dragons on paper but this is the kind the time it kind of coalesces into something real yeah where you understand these people are following her because they believe in her yeah Season three is definitely uh, Daenerys's, uh, kind of like how Tyrion's was season two. I think season three is kind of Daenerys's like upwards trajectory. Like, oh shit, like this right. is where it's at. And uh, Amelia Clark really at her best here too. After I was gonna say, everyone really steps it up. Performance on season two, yeah. Everyone steps it up. Even Jon Snow. Like this is the first yeah. season where I'm fully on board uh, on board with Jon Snow's fucking angsty kind of performance thing because he really reins it in. He walks the line finally. Right. Um, and I think he's really good. Uh, very quickly, very, uh, it's just a quick scene. Rob, uh, we're back with Rob. We're in the north. The Karstarks have deserted, as was previously fucking mentioned, was going to happen. But he there. comes up with a big light bulb idea. There's only one family with that kind of power, with that kind of manpower, blah, 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 blah. And the very house that he scorned is now the house that will be his salvation, according to him. And he's kind of turning back to the phrase, right? He's going to go hat in hand, tail between his legs, asking for help from the phrase after he scorned them by not marrying uh, Walter Frey's daughter. So it's, it's an interesting plot development, you know, especially for the second half of the season. And I just wanted to mention it uh, very quickly. I love this part. Littlefinger honeypots Loras. Okay. You know, he like sent, he sends a dude in there to basically flirt with Loras fuck with loris just yeah. to extract some information uh this is all part of the you know when cersei first visited littlefinger like i need you to check on the tyrells littlefinger's a man of means he'll figure out a way to make it happen and he does you know what i mean he yeah. gets her to fucking spill the beans or gets loris to spill the beans while they're fucking like my bride-to-be can never understand this and now we know like even though we the audience know now littlefinger knows Sansa is to be wed with Loras, which would again secure the key of the north for the fucking house Tyrell and not for the Lannisters. This is a big deal. Right. Yeah. No, um, super big deal. Uh and also just the fact that Loras immediately <laughs> is just divulging information. Yeah, not very good with state secrets. This motherfucker would have security one level only. <laughs> he could never be trusted with the aliens, okay? That shit would never happen. Like, Baelish didn't even need to try. Like, that was a shot in the dark, and it just worked so well. Immediately. This guy playing for four or five different contingencies, never in his wildest dreams would play at one work, you know? Right. He felt like he wasted it. He, like, tossed that one off. He's like, that's round one. We'll see where round five gets us. No. Oh, man. Immediately after that scene, we have a Sansa and Littlefinger scene, and Littlefinger's like, again, do you want to come with me? And Sansa's like, well yeah but maybe we should wait because it's dangerous and i'm worried about you and i'm worried about me and i just 
want to make sure everyone's cool. You know what I mean? And again, he's running circles around her in this game. Like he knows everything that's going on. She seems very uh, helpless in this situation, but she's pretty helpless. It's not great. But you know it's important. Also, the hand kiss freaked me out because maybe we're getting because he says, "Call me Peter, not Lord Baelish," and the hand right. kiss. Like again, remember we last season we talked about is this the beginning of Creepy Little Finger? He's already got his ideas. We see that very subtly moved forward. Again, very very subtle in the plotting. They they will take this very slow until things need to happen. Yeah. But it's all there, and I think that's what's really impressive. Um, from here, this brings me to maybe my third favorite scene of the whole first half of the season, which is Tywin or Tyrion walks into a room, walks into the, the the chamber of the hand or whatever, and he sees his sister Cersei chilling, and he sees his father Tywin, and they're chilling, and everything's not good, and she's smiling, and he's like, "I don't like when you smile. That's off-putting as fuck. Like, why yeah. are you smiling? You know what I mean?" Uh, and he's cracking jokes and Tywin's like, your jokes are not appreciated here. Uh, <laughs> it was just great. <laughs> but basically what comes up to it is just like, listen, like the, the, the Sansa is the key to the North. Littlefinger has provided the information that uh, the Tyrells are making a fucking move to basically secure Sansa. If Rob Stark is gone, which he is now undermanned, Sansa yeah. is the key to it. This is a plot. We don't have to confirm anything in the public. We just have to stop that plot from coming to fruition. So what do we do? We need to get Sansa a suitable husband. Tyrion's like, well, that's a great idea. Yep. Until and it's, it's Tyrion. Find out it's Tyrion. <laughs> and yeah. it, that whole scene is played to perfection because Cersei's just smiling. Like she's just loving every minute of this fuck yeah. you moment to her brother. Uh, and he's uh, petrified. She's getting and he's getting like, her buzz on with some wine. Just, oh, it's great. It's great up until the moment where he turns it on her and it's even better like somehow i forgive the Tyrion and dis- right. the injustice because he gets to fuck with her yeah, he's and he's like, like well, do you think you were gonna be a widow for- yeah, forever you're like, doing your motherfucking gotta- duty mary loris tyrell so again we're trying to secure we're trying to secure everything we're trying to secure the north right. we're trying to secure the seas the second richest family in all of westeros like this is a good thing do it mm. she's freaking the fuck out she has it's no it's really crazy to me by the way that there was a time in history where like wars could start and end based on marriages right <laughs> that's all it took no yeah. but it's again listen dude i'm sitting here and this is this ends the episode and this effectively ends the review for the first half of season uh, three but i i dude i cannot tell you how much i have like a man crush on tywin this whole time because say what you want he is just ruthlessly efficient this motherfucker is making moves on top of moves and yeah. like how do you not respect this guy that he somehow cock blocked the tyrells from their secret plot to overthrow right. and become the most fucking powerful family to in one fell swoop, getting Tyrion to, to secure the North to get uh, Cersei to secure the fucking, you know, the sea and the, and the second fucking, yeah, it's incredible, man. He, he's also essentially like the, the guy in this show. If there's one guy that I would want to be around to like face the white walkers, yeah, that would be the guy. You think that guy's scared of a fucking White Walker? Fuck no, he man. Give a shit. Don't care about a White Walker. That's like an, that's that's he's just like, he's like Batman. He's got a contingency plan for everything. Like he really locked. is amazing, man. Like, yeah, the yeah. White Walkers break into the kingdom. He goes to his lock. He like breaks that thing where you have to <laughs> snap it in half to get the instructions out. You know what I'm talking right. about? Like yeah. nuclear fucking codes and shit. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, but this brings us to the end, which is again, so everyone, you know, we we've kind of come from the aftermath of the Blackwater. 
Uh, Tyrion is at his low, lowest. Uh, a lot of characters are, are kind of in the midway of their points. Again, Theon at his lowest in a way. Jamie at his lowest, even though he has now been redeemed to us, the audience, ever so slightly. Um, and the Tyrells who are making all these power moves, we thought they were finally getting the best of the Lannisters. The Lannisters have now set themselves up to be in the best position. Rob right. is having to go back to the frays in order to try to make a deal to salvage the war that he essentially ruined by marrying uh, Talisa. Nailed it, finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And so that's kind of where we are at the end of the first half of season three. Max, do you have any final thoughts before we sign off? I think it's a really strong start to arguably the strongest season in uh, the entire show's run. I think it's just like firing on all cylinders again, like just the introduction of like magic and mystery and the tone of it and the sweep of it. Like there's a real momentum to the whole story. And it's like also arguably based on Martin's best book and the best parts of Martin's best book, as we'll get into in the back half. Um, as i said for me the thing that's so especially great about it is like yeah you have the forward momentum from the characters in the in the in the beginning of the show right yeah but now all the characters who will fully lead the show are more or less revealed you know what i mean like yeah. we we have all the players who will become very prominent in season four five six and seven and so i think that that's what why this is peak game of thrones in my opinion i fucking love the season i think the first half of the season is a masterstroke and there's still five more episodes where shit goes down, man. So I, I cannot yeah. wait to come back and do the back half of this review. Um, but with that, I think we're done. Is that good? I think, I think we nailed it, bro. All right, brother. Stay tuned for part two.